I knew that Rigby was a raccoon. <laughs> and I knew that uh, Mordecai is a scrub jay, which we have in California all over. They're rude birds. Um, and I just started coloring things in. And JG would come. come. We had, uh, by that point, we had finished background paintings. We had the um, painting of the house. And then we had a drawing and painting of the kitchen which is where a lot of the action takes place in the pilot. That kitchen is my kitchen. Really? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, um, it's based on my kitchen. Um, and I have these kind of golden plywood uh, cabinets that were put in in the 50s. My house is quite old. It's going to be 100 years old in a couple of years. But the kitchen was put in in the 50s, so... I went with that look because it's familiar to me. Um, and this is something that JG does in his own work, you know, kind of using locations that are in his life, you know, or familiar to him. And so I drew the kitchen and painted it. I don't have striped wallpaper like they do in regular show, but I do have pink walls. <laughs> um, so... Uh, we had that kitchen background and I started painting the characters and then we came to one meeting where JG and I were looking at Pops and Benson and uh, Skips and I had painted Skips black because <laughs> he was clearly a gorilla yeah. <laughs> and JG said... <laughs> what if and he just he had this huge smile on his face and it's it was clearly just not what he expected to see and i, I found out why because he had something else in mind but he said what if we painted him white with like flesh color on his chest and his face and i'm like like an albino gorilla and he goes or like a yeti and I was like, is that what he is? <laughs> like, I had no clue. He's a Yeti. Hey, guys, it's your host, Julian. This week, I sit down with Paula Spence, the art director for Regular Show. We chat all things Regular Show, including JG coming to Paula to help out on the initial pilot, premiering at a Cartoon Network up on the roof while the sun is setting, and we get to hear what Paula originally thought Skip should look like. We are a few SpongeBob stories and so much more. If you're digging the podcast, make sure to leave us a five-star review and rating and enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and today I'm joined by Mrs. Paula Spence. Paula, how are you? Hello, good. Um, I am good. This is going to be a fun one because not only did you work on one of my favorite shows of all time, Regular Show, not only did we just have some talks about some unions, and I just started learning about some unions with the animation guilds, not only are you working in backgrounds, man? But we got so much shit to talk about tonight, Paula. Thank you for joining us. First things first, though, because I told you we'd open up the show with this one. Uh, when we had our little chat. You told me old Mr. J.G. Quintel came to you and said, hey, I got this idea it's called The Regular Show. It's for the pilot. I need your help. How did it yes. go? How did that whole story play out? What was the skinny? Give us a skinny on it, Paula. Yes. Okay. First of all, tell me if I go on too long. I am um, talking. No 
a lot. I love having days where I don't say a word, but if I, my stories get dragged out, my husband thinks I'm tell the stories that are way too long. Um, okay. So JG and I had worked together on a couple of shows before regular show. Um, the first time I worked with him was on Camp Laszlo and he was still at CalArts. Um, and you know how, what JG looks like. He had short hair and occasionally one time he came in and shaved it, no hair. Um, and he got his driver's license picture taken like that. So I've seen him bald, um, but usually it's long, perfectly straight, very dark hair. Um, so he was a storyboard revisionist on um, Laszlo and I came on as a background designer. Um, and then uh, while we were working on Camp Laszlo, uh, Thurup Van Orman was on the show as well, and he and JG had been friends at CalArts, and Thurup made the pilot for Flapjack while we were all on Laszlo together, and I helped Thurup with the background designs on that show, um, and then Flapjack got picked up, so several of us moved from Camp Laszlo onto um, Flapjack. I actually left the studio for a little while. Um, that's when I took my first art director job. I was back at Nickelodeon. Um, and then I came back to work on Flapjack. And at first I was just doing backgrounds and we had a different art director that was put on the show to kind of bring, you know, some maturity to the show <laughs> because it was just Thurup and JG was the creative director on that show. And uh, I don't know if Cartoon Network thought the show was going to get made because everybody was so young. Um, I was not as young, but I was doing <laughs> backgrounds. And then we had Alex Kerwin on as um, the art director. He did not stay long. He was actually planning her, his wedding and he had uh, an, other opportunities that came up and he ended up leaving the show. And I, Thurup told me that Alex quit last night. You know, he told me and I said, oh, can I have his job? <laughs> and he's like, what do you want? And I was like, of course I do. Yes. So I became the art director on Flapjack and then um JG and Thurup and I just, you know, move forward together on that show, which looked amazing, if I do say so myself. Um, and while we were on Flapjack, that is when JG was pitching his idea. Um, you and your fans probably know that regular show um, was born um, in JG's student films from CalArts, two in the AMPM and the Naive Man from Lolly Land, I think it was called. And that's where we first see Pops. That's where we see Benson. And um, we don't see Mordecai and Rigby yet, but um, those characters make an appearance. So I had heard about JG when I was back over at Nickelodeon and um, or before I ever worked with him. And um, so he was already making waves when he was in school. Um, and he's just, just a lovely person. He's so fun and funny. And he is just really enjoying life. You know, he, the way he moves through life is 
a reminder to all of us to just value what in the heck we have, what is going on around us and to just take delight in things, small things, <laughs> you know? And so JG was pitching this show and I didn't know about it because he's incredibly secretive. Like <laughs> JG told me once um, while we were working on regular show that he once got a camera, like a, I think it was a video camera um, from his parents and he grew up in central California. And um, I want to say he grew up on a, on or near a farm. Mm -hmm. His dad uh, did some farming and um, he shared a bedroom with his brother. And he used to barricade himself inside of his bedroom. His brother could not get in. And he took that video camera and he shot some stop motion um films it with that video camera but he would lock everybody out like he just does not like to show his work while he's working on it he loves to give people surprises yeah. he gets a great deal of joy from working on his project and just like amusing himself but knowing that he's gonna make other people laugh and it's i i think that's why his projects are so successful because he's amusing himself <laughs> you know and he he just gets so much joy from not sharing that stuff um so it probably nearly killed him to have to come to me <laughs> but um that made it all the more sweet when he approached me in my flapjack office and said hey I pitched my idea to shorts at Cartoon Network and they're going to do it, but I need help. And I know how to do my stuff, um, but I don't know how to do what you do. And I need your help to do it. Will you help me? And I was like, hell yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. So he showed me his project and of course I loved it, um, but it's weird. <laughs> and I wasn't, I was basically just seeing the storyboard. Um, he may have had an animatic done by, by the time he brought it to me. Um, but so JT had done the board. He had done all the writing himself. And then he had done the character designs and the props and effects. There are very few props and effects in that pilot. But one thing that he did was draw a Barcelona chair. You can Google that to see what that is. It is a very uncomfortable chair. Like a real Barcelona chair is made of fine leather and good materials. And it's not super uncomfortable, but it's not really that comfortable. Um, but a fake counterfeit Barcelona chair, like the one that JG actually had <laughs> at one point in his life, um, is uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm not sure where that chair is now, but I do know that there was a real chair that was very uncomfortable and he does not have it anymore. <laughs> I hope it's in a museum somewhere. <laughs> so um, anyway, I, I knew how private JG was about his personal work at the time. And he, we talked about it, like, don't tell anybody. And um, so 
our process was um, I, we'd both be working on flapjack during the day and then he'd stop by, you know, at lunchtime or after work, sometimes before work. And I'd show him what I was working on. And the first thing that I drew for the pilot was that house. And it was based on this really small, it was a digital image, but it was really small, low res grainy shot of a craftsman house. And um, it, I think it came from some real estate magazine or something. And uh, I started drawing that house um, and just roughing it out to get the main design. And then um, when you're doing something like a short, you, you kind of don't have that much time to do it. And it's a skeleton crew. It was me and JG, although we had one other artist um, who did the cleanup on JG's designs, like the characters and props. Um, do you remember the artist's name? Yes, his name is Eric Elizares, and he also worked with us on Camp Laszlo, and I think he was on Flapjack. If He may have been at the beginning, and then, yeah, no, he was on Flapjack, yes. Um, Eric Elizares. Um, he's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he is, I think, working as a character and prop designer. Maybe he still does cleanup. Fun fact. I, as recording secretary at the Animation Guild, I get to sign new member applications. And a few weeks ago, I got this application and it was Christian Elizares. And I thought, what? (laughs) Holy shit. This guy's kid has now grown up and joined the Animation Guild and makes me smile to think of like he's starting his own animation legacy um so but i've been working with eric for a long time i haven't worked with him recently but that was when i first started working with him it was like 2004 i think Mm -hmm. um okay so jg would come to my office and i we got the design for the house down and then we had to figure out a line style for drawing that background and other backgrounds so JG was talking about bills and JG always picked the most boring thing that I did. And I was like, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure that's going to be okay? And he's like, yes, yes, trust me. It's perfect. Um, so we went with a pencil line and it was my Tombow. I drew with a 3B. Other people, I don't know if they were drawing with Tombows, but I don't know why anybody would draw with something that wasn't a Tombow graphite pencil. But um, anyway, we got the drawing style down then. And then he wanted wa- uh, watercolor paintings. And we talked a lot about that because I have a deep background in with watercolor paintings. And there was a short that had been done at Cartoon Network years before this by Aaron Springer called Periwinkle Mm -hmm. and they did watercolor backgrounds for those short I think it was maybe three shorts and um they were lovely and I was like oh do you want them to be washy or whatever it was really hard for me to get from JG what he wanted um because he knew he saw it in his mind but he didn't know how to describe it 
And uh, then I started doing all kinds of paintings, you know, like, ooh, let me do a beautiful painting of this house with this pencil line. And I did several paintings. And then he showed me um, a website, or he showed me the website of a fellow CalArts artist. I'm not going to say the name because I'm going to say something rude about it. <laughs> the artwork in a moment. <laughs> and I hope they never find out <laughs> that I insulted the artwork, not on purpose, but um, uh, <laughs> but they did end up working. <laughs> they worked at in, in our uh, orbit at that time. And I looked at the website and I go, oh, you want bad watercolor drawings? Is that it? <laughs> And he goes, what? And I go, uh, you just, you'd like them to have a more naive style and blah, blah, blah. Whatever, whatever talk I was attaching to these paintings or any kind of paintings did not matter. You know, it does, it, that was not what was registering with JG. He just liked the way they looked, but mm -hmm. it did help me to see those paintings and they weren't bad. <laughs> they were not Different. the most expert of watercolor paintings. And they definitely had a specific style and a great deal of charm. So that is what I tried to do in the next round of options for JG. And he liked it. So um, that's how we got the style of the show um, with those that little struggle through the, <laughs> the background um, design and the cleanup line and then the paintings. And for the first couple of seasons, we were actually, I painted the pilot on watercolor paper and I came up with this technique to, okay, well, we need to make it practical as an art director. I need to make sure that this is actually reproducible and it's going to be a doable style for the show. Um, so what I did was rough things out. I did a cleanup line um, that was scanned. Um, and then I ran, I, I printed out those BGs. We call backgrounds BGs in animation. So I'm going to continue calling them BGs. I printed out those BGs on through a, the photocopier on watercolor paper not the greatest watercolor paper. It was Arches 80 pound uh, cold press. And the, that's quite rough. And I don't in particular like that texture, but it, I painted on many different papers for JG and that's the one he liked the best. Um, and it has a very watercolory texture. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the way I painted the pilot. And that's the way I wanted everybody to paint on the first season, but uh, what I realized soon after starting the first season is that the two guys that I hired to paint did not paint with watercolors. <laughs> so um, <laughs> we figured it out. We worked our way through the first season, but um, so that was how the backgrounds got developed. Um, JG had uh didn't have anything spectacularly weird in mind for the painting, the characters, props and effects. Um, but I, I knew that Rigby was a raccoon yeah. <laughs> and I knew that uh, Mordecai is a scrub Jay. 
which we have in California all over. They're rude birds. Um, and I just started coloring things in and JG would come, come. We had, uh, by that point, we had finished background paintings. We had the um, painting of the house and then we had a drawing and painting of the kitchen, which is where a lot of the action takes place in the pilot. That kitchen is my kitchen. Really? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, um, it's based on my kitchen. Um, and I have these kind of golden plywood uh, cabinets that were put in in the 50s. My house is quite old. It's going to be 100 years old in a couple of years. But the kitchen was put in in the 50s. So I went with that look because it's familiar to me. Um, and this is something that JG does in his own work, you know, kind of using locations that are in his life, you know, mm -hmm. or familiar to him. And so I drew the kitchen and painted it. I don't have striped wallpaper like they do in regular show, but I do have pink walls. <laughs> um, so uh, we had that kitchen background and I started painting the characters and then we came to one meeting where JG and I were looking at Pops and Benson and uh, Skips and I had painted Skips black because <laughs> he was clearly a gorilla yeah. <laughs> and JG said <laughs> what if and he just he had this huge smile on his face and it's it was clearly just not what he expected to see and I, I found out why because he had something else in mind but he said what if we painted him white with like flesh color on his chest and his face and I'm like like an albino gorilla and he goes or like a yeti and I was like, is that what he is? <laughs> like, I had no clue. He's a Yeti. So while we were sitting there and I'm laughing about this and JG's laughing because I was so dumb, I didn't, you know, realize he was a Yeti and I didn't ask. I just painted him black, which I think I still have a copy of that black skips somewhere um, because the moments that in ensued um were part of the biggest laugh one of the biggest laughs that I've ever had in my life of just coloring skips changing the colors on skips while sitting there with JG and just chatting away and click 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 he was changed and I just started laughing so hard it was so funny to me because I had been so wrong about that character <laughs> And I, I think I was crying. I know I was crying with laughter because yeah. it looked so funny to me. And everybody knows Skips from, you know, regular show. And of course he looks like that. Why would you think anything else? But for me, having seen him in a different way and then seeing him in his, his true form, yeah. <laughs> That's just one of the best moments I've ever had in my life was just, that sounds pathetic, but it was just one of the biggest laughs that I've ever had. Just being there with JG, who was 
enjoying it so much just seeing me wake up to skips and get so much pleasure out of how hilarious it was oh a great moment <laughs> so I will shorten this story I feel like I've gone on forever but um that oh, was near the end period. of our development for that show but I will tell you I was really worried about the way that show looked and um I because at the time there this short was part of an, a group of shorts, um, a shorts program called Cartoon Institute. And at the time, they were putting artwork up on the walls. So you walk down to where the shorts department was stationed, and there was a big bulletin board that would say works in progress. And there were all these other projects. Like, I think that there may have been a Craig McCracken project. I'm not sure. There was a Dave Smith project. There were several projects that had like a very design heavy cartoon network style, you know, like at the time it was a kind of cartoon network look and every, there were the backgrounds were amazing and the characters were amazing and they're all shown on the bulletin board separate. And I was just worried that what we were doing was not going to be enough to mm -hmm. compete with those shows. They weren't putting it up on the wall. That may very well have been because JG didn't want people to see it because he does like to th keep things quiet and hidden until they're ready to reveal in full form. And um, so that was when JG told me it's called regular show for a reason. And I just want my show to look like everybody's boring life. And he wanted people to be able to imagine themselves in this world. Like, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it because I'm not in JG's head, yeah. but he did a wonderful job explaining it to me. Well, like why he wanted it to look so boring. <laughs> and to get people that's even part of what happens with the opening credits which as you know it starts out with this kind of funny tone and then you hear like a clock ticking to set the stage for some boring life but um that's meant to be like well a clock ticking but also a channel changing and um I think JG's wish was to have kids flipping the channel and come across a regular show and get pulled in. And so end of very long story. Um, there was a night when they showed all the shorts in Cartoon Institute. So I don't know how many were on the slate. It had to be at least 10. Um, and they did it up on the roof at the top of Cartoon Network. And it was a really weird format because they <laughs> had us all kind of sitting in at these weird angles to each other. We were sitting in rows, but there were TV screens all around us, almost like we were sitting in groups that were back to back and everybody was looking out at the screens around them. And they started showing the shorts before sundown the sun was still up we were up on the roof outside uh, three stories up or four stories up in Burbank and they were 
they showed the shorts in kind of like a hierarch hierarchical order like whoever the you know most well-known creator was they showed mm. them in order and yeah. they showed three or four shorts and i was like oh my god like they were hard to watch they were loud there was the characters were screaming it was mm -hmm. and they were too designed it was too much having all that much design on on the screen you know when the backgrounds look amazing and then the characters are on top of them it's hard to look at it and see what you're meant to be seeing and then regular show started it was like the fourth or fifth short and that dumb noise comes on and the ticking and we see the house and I just relaxed in my chair and I thought this is fucking going to work oh my god and two seconds in everybody was laughing they and they hadn't really been laughing before and this show came on and it was so relaxing and it was so mellow and then these idiot characters fighting over this stupid chair and playing rock paper scissors it was so dumb and it worked it was the first moment of the night when people were just laughing and getting joy out of it and it was just jg on the screen it was so great and then i think the next short was uncle grandpa um which got another huge laugh when that toilet monster came out of the toilet <laughs> it got some good laughs too but they ended up picking up regular show after that and um they did pick up a form of Uncle Grandpa. It became Secret Mountain Ford Awesome at first, which was that toilet monster and the creeps that came out of the toilet. And then um, they went back to Uncle Grandpa, which I'm thankful for because I love that show. So, um, but that is the story of regular show from my perspective. I'm sure JG has a totally different story, but I am... Uh, going to be endlessly honored that I was pretty much the only one that got to work with JG on that pilot. And um, it took a little while for that show to get picked up and for them to start making it. Uh, one more fun story about the pilot time. I started working on the backgrounds and then I had a vacation planned. This is like September of 2008. And <laughs> I went to Borneo for two weeks with a couple Borneo. of my friends. A Borneo. It is almost all the way to Australia. It's kind of, it's in the um, South China Sea. Um, mm. It's the biggest island after uh, Australia, I think. Uh, and Greenland. Uh, Greenland gets to be a continent right australia is a continent but anyway it's a big island and it's made up of indonesia malaysia and brunei and um you go to borneo and you just are there in nature and um 
it's oddly enough, and it's not that odd, but uh, tourists are not allowed to just run rampant on Borneo. And you have to have a local guide there when you're going to go do something like visit a national park. And so we had these tours set up and we would be with these groups of people from day to day, like, oh, we're with these three people for two days. And then we're going to go off into the rainforest and be with another group of people. And we were with this um, couple, my, me and my two friends, we were with this couple who was from, he was from England and she was from Sweden or Norway. And they had um, been married for a year and they were, you know, just traveling in Borneo like we were, but um, one of them was sick. And so we were spending, I think it was the husband who was sick and we were spending time with the, the wife and then he got better and we were at this like rainforest resort. Um, it wasn't much of a resort. It was a retreat. <laughs> there were bugs everywhere and <laughs> swimming giant pigs. And anyway, it was a retreat in the jungle and um, we spent a couple of hours in the car with this couple going to our next location. Um, and we came across some baboons in the forest. I thought we were going to get our faces ripped off. <laughs> anyway, we got to our next location and we were just chatting with them. <clears throat> and uh, then we started chatting about, he asked, you know, where we came from and we were from LA and he said, oh, I traveled to LA like every month or so. And I said, oh, you must work in the entertainment industry. And he goes, yeah, I do. I work in animation. I go, you do? And he goes, yeah, I work at Cartoon Network. And I was like, what? And he thought he was hot stuff because I was this big fan, like so impressed that he works at Cartoon Network. And I'm like, I work at Cartoon Network. Well, he works at Cartoon Network London. And so then it was like, oh, well, we got to talk about business. And the first thing out of his mouth is, do you know J.G. Quintel? He has this really funny short that he's working on. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm well, working on it. <laughs> like I... And need to get back to it. As soon as I'm back from Borneo, I'm going. So that was crazy. It's a very small world. Well, if it's any uh, consolation, my I think it was my second deployment. I'm on an aircraft carrier. And with the aircraft carriers, when you deploy and you got the, the entire detachment on, there's 5,500 people. It's a floating city. The <laughs> most miserable experience ever. You go and watch Top Gun Maverick. They make it look really, really cool and really, really fun. <laughs> There's nothing fun about jets landing right on top of where you sleep and keeping you up all night. But oh. I digress. I'm walking in the hangar bay. Like I said, there's 5,500 people. Um, when I was in, and I graduated in 2008. So I had long hair, right? Long red hair. So I was very recognizable out in the wild, right? But when you get in the military, you kind of have to shave your head and you have to keep it clean. So I've got that on. I've got a uniform on. You know, I've lost weight at that point. I've got a hat on. And this guy sees me and he walks up. I'd never met him in my life before. And he's like, is your brother Nathan? And I was like, yeah, why? And he was like, did you go to Pine Ridge? And I was like, yeah, why? And he was <laughs> like, did you play on this basketball team? I was like, yeah, why? <laughs> and he was like, 
oh, me and me and your brother were really good friends. I'm such and such. And I wish I could remember his name. And I was like, I'm sitting here in the <laughs> middle of the ocean sea. And this guy walks up and he joined the Navy. I joined the Navy. We're on the same ship together, thousands of miles away. It's just, <laughs> it's so weird, you know? Um, it is a small world. It, it really is. And, uh, you know, going back to you guys all sitting up on that rooftop, I got to imagine you and you and the guys at least talked about it after, right? After they showed the short, nobody was really laughing at the, at the you know, the beginning of the shorts and stuff. Um, but what was it like or what was JG's, what was the feeling like? What was the vibe like after you guys got done watching that short? I mean, I told you when it's, as soon as it started, I felt relief. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God. It, like, cause I was actually a little... I was worried it it wasn't going to be impressive enough. And I was a little worried that it wasn't going to work. And I'll be honest, I was a little worried that I wasn't making it look as great as I, you know, like, oh my God, am I going to be embarrassed? Cause this looks Mm -hmm. like trash and it didn't look like trash, but um, I was relieved mostly to just Oh my God, I'm sorry. You're getting a Siamese nose oh, no, you're fine. in the you're camera. Fine. Um, I was relieved that it, it it was going to work. And there is a huge part of me that thought that little punk was right. He knew, <laughs> like he knew that that's what he wanted. And he was going to stand by it. And that is something very special about JG. He has that vision and he knows it's good. Mm -hmm. And it's very natural to him because it's based in his reality. You know, a lot of his projects, if not all of his projects are based on his own life. You know, those characters, like, I'm not sure if he did work in a gas station maybe he did he probably did i heard about other places that he worked and other jobs that he did and many of those moments appeared in regular show um and close enough (laughs) that is jg that josh character it looks like him um mordecai is jg as well um but the characters in close enough are they're based on him and his wife and his friends. And that house is a real house on Berendo street in Silver Lake. It's a real house. And um, there are still people that worked in animation living in it. JG lived in it for a while. Um, Penn Ward lived in it. Uh, and I don't know who else lived in it. So many people lived in that house um, and the owner of the house rents it out and he likes those, the people that have moved in and out and they'll like sublease, but JG lived in the house for a while. I'm pretty sure it has some wild wallpaper in the kitchen. I don't know if you've ever noticed the wallpaper in the kitchen on close enough, but I was like, no, dude, we cannot do white and red wallpaper. It is not going to work, but he showed me the, the real wallpaper. And I was like, wow. <laughs> 
This well, shit <laughs> but this is um, this is a cartoon, and we have to have you know the characters visible. I'm like, can we tweak it? And he, I did end up convincing him to make it yellow and white. So mm-hmm. it's much harder to see the pattern, but it's much easier to see the characters <laughs> on the on the backgrounds. Um, so uh, there's a lot of his real life in there, and because he gets so much joy out of his own life, like taking the joy from regular life, he's able to translate that to other people. He sees the fun in life. And I think it really helps other people to see the fun in life too. And JG, um, what his reaction was, who's to say, because he's in his own mind. But all I know is, I have in my mind what JG looks like when he's happy and he's succeeded. And it's like this, it's JG with a big smile going (laughs) like nodding and like, yeah, yeah. Like he's taking it in. He's taking in like your reaction to see that you're pleased. And I was like, I told him after the shorts, you know, aired, it was like, you were right that it looks great. I was so relieved in more ways than one. (laughs) I just relieved the pressure was off and, and I was enjoying this short that I, I wasn't feeling that for the other shorts. And that's totally rude to those people, but (laughs) regular show was a better short. (laughs) I don't mean to be rude. They were good too, but they just weren't as enjoyable to me as JG's and I think probably that was the general feeling because his show got picked up and um it JG succeeded and he enjoys making people laugh and so he knew that he had succeeded and he was happy well I I told you before you know before we record I told you on the phone you know I was done with animation if it wasn't for regular show I don't get back into animation. I mean, I deployed so much and I was taken away from my youngest son, my oldest son now so much. And then it was just us channel flipping and then him seeing it saying, stop. We watched it. We bonded over the show. It's just, there's something special about regular show. Um, I can't, I can't put my finger on it. Like when you think about it, you explain to somebody what the show is about. It's a raccoon. It's a bird. They're best friends. There's more mullets and El Caminos than I've ever seen anywhere. And I live in the South. El Caminos and mullets are standard issue down here. Um, you know, so it's like I said, there you try to explain something and you can't really capture the essence. I have to show them, right? I have to show them why this is special and then I have to tell them why I'm so attached to this show yeah you know and it's like I said it's there's something about it that you just it's got the it factor right it does JG has the it factor too absolutely you know like I said (laughs) on paper it's just like none of this shit makes sense what the fuck a squirrel and or not squirrel excuse me a raccoon I'm I'm sorry Bill a raccoon and a fucking (laughs) bird are not gonna like each other and there's a gumball that loses his shit there's a Yeti that's magical, 
you know, there's a baby in diapers that is essentially the council, the guardians, <laughs> you know, it's just like all of this crazy wild shit is just coming out of this guy. And like, obviously, you know, animation is very collaborative, but it's just like, it has to have a seed somewhere. And JG is that seed. And, you know, like I said, just, just understanding and seeing like what you guys did and how you guys did what you did and you had, you had to really make a lot of stuff come together for this show to happen. Now, when that when that when that's all done airing, like I said, you've, you've already watched all those ones. Obviously, regular show is the best one on that one. Do you guys <laughs> know at that point in time, like this is going to go to series now, or is well, we made the pilot, so that was 2008. We were making the pilot. Probably they they might have shown it at the end of 2008 or some point in 2009. Mm-hmm. And then the network takes the time that they need to make their decisions. It can be a quick decision or it can be a longer one. Um, And you've talked to a lot of people that have stuff in development and sometimes it goes on for a long time. But I think they were pretty sure the fact that I had somebody from Cartoon Network London telling me about this amazing short that was being worked on at my studio. And I was like, "Mm -hmm, I'm on it. (laughs) So um, that tells you that that how special that particular short was. So I'm pretty sure that they thought uh, they had something good. And there's an investment for them, obviously, in hiring a crew and making the deal with an overseas studio to make this show. And, you know, um, there's a certain cost for every episode. So they don't take that on lightly. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and they didn't, like I said, pick up anything else at the time, you know, a little bit after we started working, they started on Uncle Grandpa's Secret Mountain Fort Awesome. And then, you know, that one kind of faltered a little bit and they ended up going back to Uncle Grandpa. Um, but um, I don't know. They they take their the time that they need, but I think that they did know this is special. But, you know, we had also done Flapjack mm-hmm. um, and Cartoon Network at the time. And for a, a long time, I don't know if it's the case very much anymore, but for a long time, it was a creator-driven show you know or studio so they had shows like you know time squad they were very different shows as you know and absolutely and powerpuff and samurai jack and dexter's lab and all of those shows were you know really creator driven driven by these kind of auteurs of animation um all very different in style but um they kind of let those guys go and do their things with their crews and the best experiences I think on those projects I know on the projects I was on was when the whole crew was in tune with the creator um on flapjack it was a little wild you know um Thurup is an adventurer and you know he's hard to keep up with I always say like I ate a lot of granola bars at my desk after lunch, (laughs) you know, while there was shit going on around me, I was trying to like rein things in. Um, But I don't want to, I don't want to downplay how difficult it is to make animation and successfully and that 
is that the crew loves working on and the fans love watching but with jg he has such a strong vision and is able to tell you you know it was a little difficult working on the pilot to get his vision out of him but once i understood i knew him better and understood how to ask for things and what you know what kinds of questions to ask to find out what i needed to know um it it's kind of easy for people to get in tune with jg because it's there's nothing hidden and it makes sense like mm -hmm. Now, I, I mentioned before that there was one background designer that I had to kind of like try to rein in and get him to understand that it's called regular show for a reason. Like those backgrounds on that show are boring, you know, really when you like compare them. them to other shows, like they don't have these dynamic, like woo upshots for the most part. They are, it's a regular person's point of view standing in front of the house or the you know video rental store or whatever the gym and um it's there there isn't a lot of dynamic stuff going on with the backgrounds and that is setting the tone for you to just be mellow and watch mm -hmm. it and then you can <laughs> you can kind of become one with those characters and enjoy it all the more when crazy shit goes down you know when yeah. stuff goes weird then <laughs> you can really go weird with it so i think with jg he has such a clear vision and is able to share it with people and those of us who not everybody was, you know, working that closely with JG. They're, you know, my team is mostly working with me, but of course, with the freedom to talk to JG or ask him questions about what he wanted. But the, as I would try as much as I could to share that vision with them and hopefully they would get on board. Um, and one person in particular who, has an affinity for you know jg jg's shows is um jessica yost and she was with us also from laszlo she was actually a pa on that show and then when thurup did his um short for his pilot for flapjack she did the color design um and then she came on to Flapjack as the color stylist, which is, it's now called color designer. And um, she knows those guys, you know, she, uh, they have the same circle of friends. I don't know if she went to CalArts. I don't think so. But um, she, they have the same group of friends and um, she and I worked very closely together. Um, and she was able to absorb, you know, JJ's vision, the anger, like same thing with Flapjack. She was spot on with what Thurup wanted for his show, but with JG, it was a natural fit as well, you know, yeah. and she could, um, she and I would joke about like, she might say, Hey, there's a van in this show 
do you know what color JG's dad's van was or whose van is this? And I'd go, oh, okay. Uh, let me, I'll ask or whatever. It's because like anytime like a car would show up, like there was this, I can't even remember what episode it was. And the, it was the El Camino, I think. Um, no, it wasn't. It was like a Trans Am or something. A Camaro. It was a Camaro. And um, back in time and win it, or they get flash forwarded back in time as the radio. <laughs> I think so. And oh no, not that one. Not that one. The, the, the El Camino is, um, my God, why am I not remembering his name? I can't remember that character's name right now. He's kind of a Ziggy Stardust guy, but. Um, yeah, um, not deaf. Is it deaf? I know who you're talking about because he's got the stars for the eyes and, and my mom blanking too. He's got the robo arm. He tried to arm wrestle. I feel like his name's Gary. I know you're talking about. He's got a white El Camino. Fans are <laughs> yes. fuck out of for this <laughs> that one. was definitely an El Camino. Um, but it there was a, a Camaro being driven very fast and Jessica colored it, you know, the way she felt like it should be colored. It was driving on grass and and the path in the park and jg goes oh no that car's supposed to be red because that's what color my mom's car was my mom's camaro was and we were like oh of course why didn't we know that so jessica and i enjoyed <laughs> through the years like doing shorthand by just saying hey can you ask him what color you know whatever was and it's usually you know based on jg's vision and memory um Jessica, by the way, I have a story that you will enjoy. Um, we went once during one of the later seasons uh, to Comic-Con in New York. And um, occasionally, like, JG's got a lot on his plate. And he actually, during the, the course of regular show, had two kids and a third, I think, during Close Enough. But um he at, at this particular year didn't have the time to go to comic-con in new york and they had asked me to go and i think that was when i i was on a panel with um sam Marin, who plays That's you know amazing. many of the characters and um a bunch of other people were on the panel and anyway i was going to new york and cartoon network was putting me up in a hotel room and i had Jessica was like oh my god that's so cool I wish I could go to New York and I was like do you want to come like you can come like crash in my room I don't I don't care and she's like yes let's do it so she came and she and I went one night to the top of the rock you know Rockefeller Center yeah. and I don't know if you've ever been there but yeah. it's like 85 stories or something and you pay to go up in a very fast elevator that has kind of a like light show in it um, at the top of the there's lights all over and a glass ceiling in the um the compartment that you're riding up in and then you get to hang out up at the top of the observation deck but we got in there and jessica and i were with a group of i don't know it was maybe like six eight ten other people it's a big elevator and I don't think any of them spoke English. They seemed to be from probably China. Um, and the elevator started going up. And <laughs> Jessica and I were having a good time. 
And all of a sudden we go, whoa, (laughs) and we start doing Mordecai and Rigby's whoa. And every fucking person on that elevator joined us and was like, whoa, (laughs) and waving hands and having a grand old time. And when we got up to the observation dive, everybody just had a good laugh and strolled off and a great night. And that reminded me of you (laughs) and your son. (laughs) That is just a stupid universal gesture that is still being done across the world. And that makes me happy. (laughs) like i said it's this one this one is is like i said it's a special show it'll go down as one of those shows that i can forget so much you know i can i'll forget birthdays i'll forget christmases i'll forget you know whatever it is i I will never forget the show the connection i had with my kid um the laughs we had just from this like i said there's it's something more than just a cartoon for me. So like, like I said, I'm always grateful when I have any of you folks that have worked on this show, you guys uh, did something real special for me. And I can never say thank you enough. Um, sticking, <laughs> you are welcome. And thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, so sticking with the regular show just for a little while, man. Uh, one, sh- one episode in particular, and I, I, I never do this because it's, it's, it's hard to remember what you did last week, you know, what you had for breakfast last week. Right. <laughs> However, this this episode is, in my opinion, the best episode. Baby ducks, and I got to talk to <laughs> the baby Toby. ducks. Send them so to the moon. I, I'm going to tell you this story. I don't think I've told this one on uh, on on the on the podcast yet. But so I've been a huge fan of ducks, birds. You know, I, 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 they're such a fascinating animal, right? I had a little, I had a little cockatiel when I was younger. I named him Nacho because I was a fat kid. Uh, his cheeks looked like nacho cheese. Oh. I always wanted a pigeon. Mom said no on pigeons. So pigeons went to a cockatiel and I was like, man, one day I'm going to get a duck. So flash forward, it was like 2016, 2017. It's about a, about right when I got out of the military, maybe a year after. And there's a, like a tractor supply store or whatever those are, where you can go and buy like horse food, hay and all that other shit. Yeah. And we're in there. And then I hear them, I hear them chirping. Like it's, it's yeah. They got baby ducks and they have chickens and they have baby chickens they have baby ducks and i'm like oh i'm gonna go buy a baby duck and then they have a strict no return policy so my wife is with me and my oldest kid is with me so i know if i buy the duck she can't say no because i can't return it so this is (laughs) this is (laughs) this is the thoughts i have in my head i'm were they yellow yes yes they were really baby ducks they they definitely needed an incubator and all that other stuff they were they were little hatchlings and stuff right so I was like, oh, I'm going to get a duck. So I, I look at Katie. I'm like, hey, I think we need such and such. Can you go grab you know, that? I'm going to go over here and grab this. So I instantly go to the lady. I'm like, hey, look, I need to buy a duck, right? Uh, <laughs> she's like, okay, cool. And then this lady would not shut the fuck up. I'm like, and I'm looking at her and she's going and going and going and going. I'm like looking over my shoulder. I'm just waiting for my wife to pop up. And I literally stop her mid-sentence. She's a very nice lady, but she just wouldn't shut the fuck up. And I was like, look, I am trying to buy this duck. And if my wife gets up here, so why the fuck do you have a duck? And I'm like, Susan, I told you this was going to happen. Now I have to go put the baby duck there. So I never got to buy the baby duck because my wife popped up right before I could hit swipe. And I looked oh. at the lady. I was like, God damn it. I almost had a duck. But nonetheless. What a I bummer. Wanted, yes. I wanted to teach it karate all because of <laughs> And I'm an adult. This is a kid thoughts and kid theory. The only kid should be trying to teach fucking ducks karate. However, 
that episode is so fucking fun from start to finish. I talked to it with Bill. I talked about it with Toby. And I had Matt Price on a couple years ago. He's a writer. And producer, <sighs> Matt. Uh, sadly, I could never release that episode because that was on a laptop that was stolen in college. Uh, oh. so, yeah. So there's like five or six episodes that I got out there. If you're listening person that took my laptop, release those episodes for me. Um, oh. But uh, yeah, so he's going to come back on down the road, though. So um, but every time I've had somebody on this work on a regular show, I've bought brought baby ducks up. Did you get <laughs> on that one by chance? Sorry. Did you get to work on that one by chance? Oh, God, I worked on every episode. There's no episode of regular show that I did not work on. Have you ever seen the crew shirt we did for our first season? I have not. Oh, my God. Oh, I wish I I could have been wearing it if it still fits. (laughs) But it is a scene from that episode. And it's all of the characters in the golf cart, like, like, totally stretched and freaking out and there's just like stars streaming by and they're and it's a space background it's on a black t-shirt but basically it's stars streaked in the background and all of those characters on the golf cart like going back to earth you know it's so good and it just says regular show you know crew season one uh and then on the back it's does it i think it has the whole cruise all of the cruise names yeah. um but there it's like a concert tee on the back with everybody's oh, so names cool. i gotta dig it up and make sure what it says on the back <laughs> it's a good shirt absolutely it sounds like speaking of backgrounds for just a second the space <laughs> background is hands down my favorite backgrounds in the entire show i there's something so fun about that because it like if and it's probably just the weed. So when when this this show is a great show to sit there and smoke a joint to eat way too many edibles and just absorb into the couch, right? It's it's so fun. And I love the space. Anytime I'm seeing stars shoot, because it's it's just something fun. Like I go out in here and do it. I'll sit out in my I'll sit on my front porch and then I'll sit in my rocking chair and I just look up and I love hearing the bats. I love hearing them go back and forth. They're like little acrobats too. Yep. And then usually on a nice clear night, you can see a little- <clears throat> and constellations so i i love i love the space backgrounds in the show but um keeping it on the that baby is, decks what's that, that is great to know and yeah. uh, the the first space background got created for the pilot for that the card mm-hmm. the title card and it is like six different watercolor washes like i made all these watercolor washes which i still have scanned and they're layer upon layer and they're inverted and I've done all this like crazy stuff sitting there with JG who's like yeah. okay try this and I'm like all right well here it's <laughs> inverted and it's getting really dark and that's how we created I I usually got to create those kind of like space things and color yeah. color cards and stuff and I love doing it and I think of JG every time I do it still like working on little demon I did several um backgrounds like that and i just go i i think of jg while i'm doing it and just have fun like i'll try this stupid shit something's (laughs) gonna come of it and they look great (laughs) so thank you for appreciating that (laughs) oh it's no problem like i said i haven't i haven't had anybody that's worked specifically on backgrounds so last couple years that like i said i told you before we hit record it's just backgrounds have been I like, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's like, you're supposed to enjoy the entire show in its entirety, but it's just like, 
I, I mean, I guess you can find that with anything because you guys are drawn to specific, no pun intended, you're drawn to specific aspects of your job, whether it's voice acting, whether it's storyboarding, whether it's in betweening cleanup, you know, background paint, whatever it is, you guys are, you know, drawn to what you like, you know, and it just happens to be backgrounds for me. I mean, it's just, I think it all just started with comic books, like looking in the background, seeing, you know, what's back there, what they hide, you know, somebody's date or somebody's name, somebody's initials, yeah. you know, so shit like that. It's just, it's, it's like finding little Easter eggs. And I just, I really like that. Speaking of Easter eggs, did you get, to, <laughs> did you get to put anything in there? Like I've, I've, I asked people all the time specifically, did you get to throw anything that's personal to you into the of show? Course. Yeah. Yep. I think everybody did at some yeah. point, but for me, here's what it is. Now you've seen a couple of creatures coming in here. Mm -hmm. Here's one of them. Okay. This one didn't appear in regular show because she's was born after regular show was done. But this started in my career, my animation career on SpongeBob. I got a couple of kitties, um, my first kitty cats I got when I was on SpongeBob. And there's an episode of SpongeBob where Patrick and SpongeBob have to go and paint Mr. Krabs house. Yes. And then when they get there, like there's all these pictures on the wall and I had to put something in every one of those frames and like make it look good. Like he's got anchors, he's got lots of money imagery and uh, my cats Egbert and Clovis uh, appeared on Mr. Crab's wall these two little kitties and um then they appeared in an episode of uh, Invader Zim in the very same way I like if I have an opportunity to put I like putting artwork up on my walls you can see um and uh off in front of me that you can't see there are a million more pictures um including one of a cat and my cats usually appear in every show and on regular show all of my cats appeared so you may remember that benson and when we go to his house he has uh, quite a few cats on his wall so i slipped in Egbert and Clovis again those same cats that had been on Spongebob and Invader Zim and they were no doubt they were in Flapjack as well but those cats were one of them was gone but they made it onto regular show and then something I think that I think in the writer's room they had seen that that ben, Benson had some cats on his wall and they wrote it into an episode where he was just turning into the biggest loser. And he had multiple cat images on his walls. So all of my cats went into that episode. And I stupidly did not tell my background designer or the painter. I did the drawings, but I didn't tell the painter um, the way the cats should look. Mm -hmm. So he, when he painted them, I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I gotta have you repaint these because here's the cats. <laughs> so um they all got repainted. Uh, I I think I might have painted one or two of those backgrounds in that episode, but and I can't even remember what the heck that, that episode was called. But they all appear in um Benson's house. And JG know, knows it. I was I didn't want to try to slip anything weird in, but since the writers were the ones that wrote that episode and specifically requested 
that he would have pathetic cat pictures on his wall. I was like, these are going to be my cats. Um, and Thurup knew that I had cats. I don't, I don't like being a, known as a crazy cat lady. I actually <laughs> like dogs better than cats. People don't believe it, but I have cats because they are easy for someone working in animation to take care of. They don't care when I'm gone all day and they, I don't know, they could live without me. Um, but Thurup had an episode with a crazy cat lady with a million cats um, on Flapjack. And that character looks an awful lot like me. <laughs> uh, it is me. <laughs> so that that's the only time I've ever I've ever been in an, an episode was I you get any residuals for that episode. That um oh my gosh, I don't remember what that name of that episode was. It was in the last season that we did of SpongeBob or Flat Flapjack. You might have to reach out to him and see if you can get a residual check there. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't do the voice. And I don't know. She she probably had a few small lines and probably Thurup did her voice. Yeah. Now, I remember that episode of SpongeBob because at the end, I, I, so there's, I learned so much as a kid and I, I equate that into my adult life. And then for the longest time, because at the end of that episode with SpongeBob, Mr. Krabs is laughing and then spit is what takes off all of the paint. That's right. (laughs) Right. So when I was younger, my mom would never let me help paint because she was always like, no, you'll hit the baseboards. No, you'll hit the crown molding. You'll hit this. You'll hit that. It's, it's, It's an adult job. So that translates into my adult life. And there's a couple things that you learn how to do pretty efficiently when you become, when you, when you get into the Navy, Uh, you know how to sweep and mop very well. You can be (laughs) top notch janitor anywhere. If you get out, you know how to paint. And we have this saying in the, in the, in the Navy, it was like once for dust. So you paint one time for dust and you paint twice for rust, right? So you have to go back over it a second time. So one of my last jobs when I was in shore duty up in Norfolk, Virginia, I had to paint the master chiefs, the command master chief's office. And a master chief is the highest rank on the illicit side. So, and he was the entire commands master chief. And uh, I remember going in there and he's like, Hey, you want uh, such and such day off? And I'm like, sure, Master Chief, why? And he's like, well, if uh, I'd like this room painted. And I was like, well, I can paint a room, no problem. And he was like, I don't want it painted just, you know, I want it perfect. He was like, I want it taped off. I want this. I want that. I don't want any splashes. The first thought that goes through my head is Mr. Crab, SpongeBob, and Patrick. <laughs> and I'm thinking, fuck, I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to screw it up. But <laughs> you can get a little bit of spit on this shit and it comes off. Needless to say, I dropped some paint on the floor. I tried to get a little spit like your mom or dad would do, and it made it worse. It didn't do anything. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, and then I found out that we had paint thinner, and paint thinner helped really well. So I don't know if you spit paint thinner, but... I got to I got to let you know that uh, those little life stories that I was learning in SpongeBob, some of them didn't help me. <laughs> they did not. No. <laughs> no, they didn't. So we've been going for about an hour and a half. And uh, I'm already going to tell you, I would love to have you back on because we covered the pilot and a little bit of the first. Sure. Season. Um, but I feel like we could go a lot deeper with a lot more regular show. But there is some fans questions and some questions that I wrote down uh, and a couple that uh, I gave you a little uh what's it called pre-game i think is what the kids yes <laughs> uh, beforehand uh so those two your mount rushmore right you get four people plus one as an honorable mention 
Who's on Paula Spence's Mount Rushmore <sighs> animators? Okay, I will say I really want to work with JG again. Mm-hmm. I like, I miss working with him. It was hard for me to not go back to close enough after I did the first season and the, you know, the development stuff. And then it was done for a while and I had to go find another job. Um, and by the time they started doing close enough again, um, I was in the shorts department at Cartoon Network and it was a really good opportunity for me. And I, it would open up the possibilities of me going and um, kind of advancing in my career beyond art director. So when JG asked me to come back, I was like, oh, I can't. Um, but I was able to then recommend Jessica, who I mentioned before, and she took over as art director for me. And they had such a good relationship that I don't think they missed me. <laughs> Hopefully they did a little, but I'd really like to work with JG again. Um, I, for me, it, it's more about me having a great time working with uh people that I love, you know, yeah. people that I, I know are doing, a, they know their craft, mm-hmm. you know, and I like them on top of it. And those are the people I dream about working with again, mm-hmm. if I've worked with them before, <laughs> I have a good friend named Lindsay Pollard that I worked with on Camp Laszlo, where I met JG and Jessica and Thurup. And I would love to work with her again. Um, we, of course, are in touch, but um, I have a friend. Let's see. I'd love to work with Chris Siriotis again. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about him being this amazing background designer currently on, well, lately on Kid Cosmic. Um, he's been on so many things. Um and, I, and I've been in the studio with so m- many of these people that are amazing, you know, like, well, there's Gendy and yes. I don't know if I'm a right, the right fit for Gendy, you know, but Gendy and I shared a, a common wall, you know, well, like when he was doing Symbiotic Titans mm-hmm. and I was on, I think it was probably Flapjack at the time, like, I was hearing everything that was going on on their show because we didn't have ceilings in our offices at that time. And it's been, it's been a pleasure to work around these people, but not necessarily working with them. And Mm -hmm. JG's, or I'm sorry, Gendy's team is so tight. Like it's small. It's a small team like scott wills and Derek bachman yeah yeah and they're just like so tight that i'm like i'm very practical and i'm like oh i don't know Uh, you know like i'll just be adjacent you know Mm -hmm. working with um the goofballs (laughs) you know and those guys are doing like high art almost um i'd love i think to work with Craig McCracken but I don't know if I I you know if I'm in his orbit or if he's ever thought of me I I did I think pitch a show idea to like for a time Craig and um Craig was in the 
Cartoonstitute, I think, when JG was pitching regular show and I pitched something that didn't go anywhere. But um, I think that would be fun working with Craig. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in, I have enjoyed my few small short forays into feature but I like the pressure of working on TV stuff. And so I guess it's just, I, I like, I would like to continue working in TV and I, I like meeting new people. So I'm kind of like, I, and I really enjoy working with people who I can help, you know, like that I'm, I can be the knowledgeable one, like yeah. with JG and like teach him or you know somebody that doesn't have as much experience like the craft of making the shows like below the line you know Mm -hmm. like we got to stay on schedule and you guys are doing a lot of animating backgrounds and like I'm I'm not answer. I'm like weaseling around your question oh no I'm not really answering it nope I like it I I like I guess I'm not one to like set my sights on uh, a superstar I guess I I'd really love to work with JG again um and any of those folks that I worked with on regular show John Infantino um he is uh he worked also on Camp Laszlo and mm-hmm. Flapjack I think and um regular show for a while and then he's off like he's at Nickelodeon right now I think and we cross each other's paths once in a while and I'm always so happy to see him but we haven't found a way to work together okay here's one that I have not gotten to work with since Laszlo and then um I worked on uh, Rocco's Modern Life Static Cling with him mm-hmm. and Cosmo Seegerson. We talked about him before um, when he uh, started working on Cuphead with Dave Wasson. They asked me to come and be our director. And at the time, like same thing as with JG on Close Enough, I was on shorts and they they just could not make me an offer good enough to get me to jump onto that one. But it's that one would have been so challenging and fun working with those two. And I, I was sorry. I didn't take that. Um, because they didn't send Don Corleone to you, huh? They couldn't make you an offer. You could refuse. <laughs> they, they couldn't. <laughs> when Netflix started out, they were throwing money around like crazy. But I think by the time Cuphead came around, Dave and Cosmo might've been making big dollars, but they, <clears throat> they couldn't make me an offer that was competitive with what I was getting already. And I had just started in shorts. I had been there for maybe a year yeah. um, at Cartoon Network. And I felt like there was so much more that I needed to do where I was. And I did not go over to Cuphead. And I regret not being able to work with Cosmo and Dave. And I hope that I can work with the two of them someday. I've worked with Cosmo before. I want to do it again. And I'd love to work with Dave. There, I answered it. 
Yeah, there you go. I gotta imagine it happen. You put it out in the universe, man. I gotta imagine something will happen from it. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, uh, Dave's Dave's been on the show and he's such a cool dude. Um, when I do these podcasts, you never know what to expect with the guests you're gonna have on. Usually within the first five minutes or so, I can kind of tell how the conversation is gonna go. Whether I'm gonna have to pull stories, I'm gonna have to wrap this shit up quick. I can do a little <laughs> bit longer format, relax, kind of like what we're doing. <laughs> And I enjoy these ones where the guests get on and want to talk and enjoy talking <laughs> and, and you know, telling stories. Because if there's one thing I love to be able to do, it's just to be, tell me more stories because I love <laughs> that type of stuff. Good. I love hearing what you guys do because we see the final project. You know, sometimes we'll see, you know, rough shit where you guys are putting out, this is something new in production we're just working on now. You know, you'll do like little sneak peek stuff like that. For the most part, we get everything polished, ready to go. This network's behind it. They're rolling it out. So getting to hear, you know, how you came up with the background, why the ducks were doing what they were doing, why the trans man, why there was mullets, all of this shit. I enjoy this type of stuff. So, and the fans don't really get to hear too much of this stuff because nobody buys DVDs anymore. And when you do buy DVDs, oh. they have a very small um, very sm I, I love buying DVDs because of the director's cut, you know, getting to hear the the creators the writers the artists yeah. talk and explain a scene and you're like oh fuck i never thought about it that way i was looking at it from this way they broke it down and it makes way more sense than the bullshit i was thinking about so i love <laughs> so this this is what this is for me it's the director's cut yeah <laughs> so i get like i said i go imagine it, it once it's out there it'll happen you'll you'll get to work with dave you'll get to work with cosmo fuck man dave, <laughs> cosmo and jg all might come together and then Gendy produces it who fucking knows it'd be it'd be the greatest thing ever, that would right? be the greatest you know? um but nonetheless so so we got your mount rushmore um the next one is two books that you think any fan of animation or anybody working in animation should have on their shelves okay the first one is i'm not gonna mess around you know you've heard it a million times it's the illusion of life mm -hmm. everybody needs to peruse that book and then so the second one, I'm deeply embarrassed that I cannot tell you about the authors, but this series of books, and maybe you know about them, um, How mm -hmm. to Think When You Draw by Lorenzo and his last name, I believe is Etherington. My God, let me look it up. I feel like I don't know very much about these folks. And I very recently discovered this. Yes, it's the Etherington Brothers book. Okay. Um, there are multiple volumes. And these guys do like Kickstarters. They're in England. I don't think that they necessarily work in animation. But the book is just filled with these like... This is the table of contents. There's character design chapter one um they talk about how to draw shoes oh that's really cool so it's like little exercises and shit yeah and like here's here's what feet look like and here's some uh examples of different poses and it's just like almost like half reference packet and half art lesson like mm. this is how hands move and they're amazing uh, you and I can connect on um, how to find these books, but I, the way I found them is I was trying to help one of my, 
effects designers on Little Demon to draw better smoke. And mm-hmm. I was like, just Googling smoke effects, animation, and they have a lesson on drawing smoke. And I was like, what is this? And I saved it. It was just like this strip of, you know, a section of a page. And they just put those things out and they appear on people's like Pinterest pages. And that's how I found it. And then I mentioned it to one of the prop designers um, on Little Demon who said, yeah, they got a Kickstarter and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? And I happened to get on their Kickstarter or their website at the right time. You can basically sign up for, be on their email list for their website. And then when they do a new Kickstarter, they did a Kickstarter for the, they were going to re-release all of these, the volumes of this book. And I don't know what the hell I did. I think I paid about $500 (laughs) to get about a dozen books and Mm -hmm. they all just came like in the last couple of weeks. Oh, that's pretty cool. I haven't even had a chance to look at them much, but, um, that is something I would recommend getting into and exploring. Absolutely. It's not Thank necessarily you. animation, but it's really great for drawing and for people that want to get into animation or, or are already in and need a little help. Yeah, it's, it's honing that craft. It's mastering that craft. Um, the next one is actually how we linked up, man. That's the animation recommendation. Robert Alvarez, National Treasure, one of my favorite human beings in the world, Me says, too. I've got a couple people you need to talk to. You need to talk to Randy Myers and you need to talk to Paula Spence. So uh-huh. we're turning that question on you. Who is going to be Paula's animation recommendation? Who should we try to get on the show? Well, I definitely think you should try to get JG and I will try to hook you up. Oh um, man, that'd be I lovely. think it would be awesome for you to also get Cosmo. You are have already had Dave, so yep. having Cosmo Segerson. I also think John Infantino, who I brought up, would be awesome. He I actually reached out to him. Oh, you uh, did? Yeah, two years ago. Uh, he said he was extremely busy. <laughs> <laughs> he you could try it again and say I just had Paula on your on my podcast. I'll name drop the shit out of you. Um, because we like each other. Yeah. And I did him a solid recently. Yeah. Oh, you gotta be careful with those solids. I know. <laughs> he uh had somebody reach out to him through I there was a loose connection and some connections being made, and he emailed me and said, Hey could you talk to this person? She's looking for this. And it was mm-hmm. like, just help with it. She was actually a, um, a social worker, like helping yeah. people who find pathways into work. Mm-hmm. And this person that she was helping a young woman, um, she wanted to help her make some connections in animation. And yeah. um, she had some very specific questions and John put her in touch with me. He asked me, would you mind talking to her? And I was like, sure. And I had a fantastic time talking with her. And um, so you, you could float my name to John and see if he would remember that and go, well, if Paula did it, maybe I can make some time. <laughs> but maybe he'll be really busy. And he really is. Oh, hundred percent. You know, he keeps busy and then he's always like, developing more and more and more i I would really love to work with john again 
That's another name. That's another producer uh, right there. I'd love to hear him on your show too. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll take this clip and we'll send it to him. All right, so the the next ones, I actually got uh, one of your old cohorts here to uh, to write in. <laughs> Bill Salyers, man, uh, I got to pull up the the old what's it called? The old email. Um, so he wrote in because I I reached out to him and said, hey, I got Paula coming on. Any cool stories? I usually do this with with everybody that I have on. If I have somebody on that's been recommended, like what's a cool story that I should bring up that probably won't come up. Oh. Um, <clears throat> and then he had a really nice email to say, he said, Oh, that's great. I didn't get to hang out with Paula as much as I would have liked because we worked on different parts of the process, but she was always delightful. Ask her about the time. Several of us went to sleep no more in New York. when The network had us up there for some event. Yep. Okay. This is totally bad for podcasting, but I'm going to step away and I'm going to grab something that is off screen. Oh, you're perfectly fine. <laughs> I'll be back in a moment. <laughs> that this is one of my favorite things about Bill as well. Okay. So sleep no more in New York. Have you been? I have not. It is. And I hesitate to call it interactive, but it is a, an event. Um, you go to uh, watch this play, but you're not staying in one place. You, um, the group from Cartoon Network, this was that same trip I mentioned before <laughs> with um, that Jessica came on. And I, it was my first time to Comic-Con. And I said, what are we all going to do? Like, there's like 15 of us going from Cartoon Network. So what are we going to do? Um, and everybody was like, what? And I said, well, we're going to do something as a group, aren't we? And they're like, are we, what? I don't know. We don't generally do that. And um, Jessica came up with the idea to go to sleep no more. And um, so basically it takes place at the McKittrick Hotel, which is not a hotel. It's in the meatpacking district and it's in a warehouse. And it's like five floors of event space. Um, one of the floors is like a speakeasy. And then you go to that floor and you are taken into the event space. Um, in small groups and they would generally put you in an elevator mm -hmm. and an operator gives you a little spiel a little story as they take you up and down in this elevator and they let you out and you might be in there with your friend jessica and they open the door and jessica walks out and then an arm comes down and you are still in the elevator they separate your group i forgot to mention that they also put a mask on you Oh. So you are wearing something like this. Um, this is my uh, mask from Going to Sleep No More uh, with Jessica and Bill. <laughs> this is very creepy um, is. in the dark. <laughs> um, so everybody that you're with is wearing that mask. You're given that mask as they walk you in and then you're released on one of the floors and you don't know where the hell you are. And there are two different, storylines going on one of them is based on the play Macbeth which you should not say in that theater space but you can say it outside 
you're not supposed to say Macbeth within the theater. Um, and then the other play is related, but it's in a different time period. And the actors are crossing over and they're, they're in both plays. There's no dialogue. Um, so nobody's talking. You're not supposed to be talking and you're wearing a mask. And then the actors are running around and you just follow them. You know, oh my God, some naked guy just ran by, you know, I guess I'll <laughs> run after him and see where he's going. Well, in fifth grade, my class put on the play Macbeth. So I knew the story and I knew what I was looking for. And I came across some guys um, who were playing poker and mm -hmm. I realized who they were. And I thought, one of these dudes is about to get killed. Mm -hmm. So I am going to follow him <laughs> when he leaves. And I followed him and I saw Macbeth murder him spoiler alert in case you haven't <laughs> read that Shakespeare play um but so I followed that that story so we did this we um started we sent an email before we went to comic-con and said hey you're going um to comic-con so some of us are going to go see sleep no more and if you want to get in on this we'll buy tickets so we got everybody tickets um, the head of the studio loved it. Brian Miller, you've had him on your podcast. So Very nice, man. he got into it. Um, I was super happy that he was into it. He took us all to dinner um, that night. And then we all went to see Sleep No More. On This was a Saturday night. And then, um, or a, a fr it, maybe it was a Friday night. I'm not sure. And then um, the next day we did Comic-Con and then, Jessica and I decided we should go <laughs> see it again. Um, and Bill hadn't made it in time to see it on that first night. So, um, so he agreed, you know, he wanted to go. Uh, we talked about it with him and somebody else was there on the trip. I can't remember who hadn't gotten to go on that first night. And so we got tickets and we saw it again. And that's the night that Bill went and I had just been there, you know, a night or two before. And there is, <laughs> so Bill may or may not remember this. This may be why he's telling you to ask me about it. But um, there is a location within one of these five floors that is an apothecary shop. And it's got all these like herbs and remedies. And there happens to be a big jar of hard candy and I saw this there and I'm like what's that doing there it's like out of you know place but it was there and I saw one of the people in the play one of the actors take them and give some candy to you know one of the people standing around in masks and I was like oh okay I forgot to mention there are moments in the play when one of the actors may grab you and pull you off stage like one of my co-workers who went that first night um curtis lee lash he is in a, a development executive he <laughs> came out stunned from the first night and he's got his mask up here right and then he's telling us that he got pulled aside by this actress who pulled him into a bathroom and then she started speaking 
to him. And it was a set background, but bathroom, but that's the only time you hear dialogue. It mm -hmm. is if somebody pulls you out and they are speaking nonsense to you, right? It it happened to me <laughs> the next night when I went, but um but Curtis is sitting there with that mask on his head and he's like, oh my gosh, and she took my mask off and she was talking to me and he was all freaked out. And then she put my mask back on and she kissed me on the forehead. And I'm like, put your mask on Curtis. And he like pulls it down and he had a big lipstick mark on his forehead of his mask. But that freaked him out even more. So the next night when we went back and it was Bill and I think it, I think that, um, uh, Sam might have been there too that night. Um, I came across that candy jar again and I'm like, well, I'm taking some of that candy. So I had the candy in my hands and I was messing with people. So like I might be in a room just alone because the acting has passed on and I'm standing there and, you know, looking around at the scenery and people would come in and they look a little scared because they don't recognize you or anybody and I would just use this freako mask and just be like kind of like I'd approach them and they didn't know what I was doing I was freaking them out and then I would like hand them a piece of candy and they were like oh my god so what happens at the end of this play is that everybody is eventually guided to the same final location mm -hmm. which is the finale of the play Macbeth which is a banquet scene and there is a, you know, there's a, a death and, um, and so everybody kind of gets guided by like doors close and, and rooms are no longer there. And it, it's so beautifully planned that you don't even realize what's happening, but everybody's guided to last moment. And there's a big crowd in this room and I saw Bill and recognize him because he's quite tall or whatever the case was I I recognized him in the room and I slipped up behind him and I had my last piece of candy and I just quietly slid it into his hand and passed on and he looked at me like <laughs> he did not recognize me he just looked over and was freaked out and then we watched the end of the play and we had made special reservations that cost a little extra and we got a little extra in the in the the play as part of that but we also got a table reserved for us at the speakeasy so we were all meeting back at the table and bill was like super excited to be there i'm like i went and met them we were all gathered around our table having drinks and he was well funny funnily enough we ended up talking about like union stuff because he was concerned about are these actors equity people like are they getting paid union wages like <laughs> this is a tough play to put on and um he he goes oh my god this freaky lady put a piece of candy in my hand and i didn't know what to do and i was laughing i was like that was me bill <laughs> and yeah he's just bill is a great guy. He is so fun and funny and he's just 
on top of it, such a good person. Like mm-hmm. the fact that he was worried about these actors, like whether they were getting paid the, you know, good wages to be in this play. Such a smart man, very thoughtful. And I I know that your podcast was great with him. And I I think he brought so much to regular show. And it was a pleasure the few times when I could see him and JG working together, I didn't get to go to the records very much, but they were great working together. I, I knew he was a good person when I can't remember. He was sitting down and he was, he said he was eating eggs. Cause I asked him what his one of his favorite fan experiences was. And, uh, and we were talking about Mark Hamill, you know, obviously voicing skips, so he was like, Mark Hamill is a hero. He's Luke Skywalker, for God's sakes. He was like, he's every kid's my age hero. And then he was telling me that he, you know, he stood in line, paid his hard money to go meet Mark, guy that he works with. He wanted a signature. <laughs> and he was like, the next day at, at, at Comic-Con, I was sitting there and then I was just sitting down. I was eating my eggs and stuff. He was like, I was out there with the people. And then he was like, uh, this mom had brought their two kids or her two kids to meet somebody and he either they didn't show up or the line was too long something happened and then he overheard it and he was like hey do you guys like regular show and then they're like yeah weird guy eating your eggs and then he was like well i'm i'm rigby i i can i'll give you an autograph you know i'll give you a picture he's like i know you didn't get to meet your you know the guy you wanted to or or whatever it was the story told us but he was like he went out of his way to be very kind to kids that were kind of bummed that they didn't get to meet whoever it, it yeah. was you know they got to meet so once he told me that story i was like oh, man you're such a good fucking person bill so i, I just i love he hearing is. stories like that yeah he is uh do you want to hear my mark hamill story i, I would love you, to hear your mark hamill story i told you before that i am very bad with faces and like i'm googling people that go do i know them oh yeah i know that person and uh, I hate it when I don't remember somebody that I've actually worked with, but, um, so one day on regular show, we were, it was our, it must've been our first or second season. Cause we were still in a certain place, part of the studio where we later moved from. And I went to talk to my producer and I was in her office. She had this couch that, hello. <laughs> she had this couch where uh, people would just come and sit on the couch and chat forever. And I was in there talking with her, not sitting down yet, but I was telling her that my cat had just died. When I, like I had this old cat beast and he was 18 and we had to put him to sleep. He was just so old. He wasn't eating anymore. And so I had missed the day before or I had gone home from work early or something. And so I was in the office talking with her about this and this man walks in and here's the story. And he's like, Oh, we had to put one of my dogs to sleep. And he had uh, West Highland white terriers. And so we're, and I know he's, you know, he's there for the recording studio, which was right next to the producer's office. And so we're all talking about all this. And he's just talking about how, what a bummer it was, you know, the dog's part of the family and he's got two dogs and now he's got one and blah, blah, blah. And he leaves. And I look at Janet, Janet Diamond was the producer. And I go, was that Mark Hamill? (laughs) (laughs) And she goes, 
you fucking dipshit. <laughs> of course it was. And I was like, I'm not good with faces. <laughs> and he doesn't look like Luke Skywalker anymore. Come on now. So that's my Mark Hamill story. I, by the time we got to the end of regular show, I think that last movie was coming out or the, or maybe the second to the last movie. And he was going to play a part and he was getting a lot of publicity and there was, he had to be more careful, you know, coming into the studio and it's like, don't talk to him. You know, his agent had to like get in touch mm-hmm. with the recording studio and say, manage this. So people don't bug him because people mm-hmm. were, you know, going ape shit. It's Mark Hamill. And I, here I am like, I don't know you are, dude. (laughs) I mean, that was that. This was at the beginning of regular show when I had this conversation with him, and then later on, it was a little bit of a bummer to have him, like, to hear from JG, like, "Oh yeah, people aren't supposed to talk to him and bug him." And I was like, "Oh, well, I'd go ask him about his dog." I know he's a caring person, (laughs) but it's got to be hard. I can't imagine being that famous and but still even when you're that famous like some dipshits don't recognize you (laughs) and to be that that famous and that kind like you you always hear stories about how kind of a person he is and it's just it really goes to show you they always say don't meet your heroes i've only met one person that i considered a hero and he was an asshole and it was at a con i won't say the name i'll tell you you off there however i really feel like everybody deserves at least one that's a lie two people i've met in my life <laughs> and the one i'll say online or one i'll say here as uh, jameer nelson uh he was the point guard for the orlando magic we were like 16 right whenever they were going to try to sell tickets that you'd have an open house at the at the arena you get to go down there and meet the players they'll sign your basketball or you know sign their basketball card what, what are they? they'll take a picture with you shit like that it's just to sell tickets yeah. and meet people and everything like that so i go down there and then uh the two big guys at the time were jameer nelson our point guard and dwight howard our center and those guys were only there to take pictures for the people that would buy season tickets the other guys on the on the team they were there for whatever uh-huh. so my coach ended up buying a like a season ticket or a half season or some shit like that for two him and his son and then so he was he earned a, a basketball photo with uh, or a photo with Dwight Howard so the whole team got a photo it's somewhere up in the upstairs in my old office and uh Jameer Nelson was just walking around and he wasn't you know he wasn't really doing anything so I go up to him and I'm like hey Mr. Nelson I'm a real big fan buddy Larry here's a real big fan can we get your autograph turns around looks at us and then turns back around I'm like Huh, maybe you didn't hear me. So I tap him on his shoulder again. Uh-oh. And he like fucking snatched the ball out of my hand and like did a really quick signature and then like didn't forcibly give me the ball back, but he definitely did not give me back the ball very nicely. And I'm like, man, fuck this dude. <laughs> Flash forward uh 2019, 2018, somewhere around 2018, 2019. The restaurant I was working at the time, uh, they were in really tight with the Orlando Magic president. He would come into the restaurant all the time. He still goes into that restaurant all the time. And uh, they had hired us to go out there and work their club, their their expensive club, to do some catering and shit like that. 
we go there and then two things happened. I completely changed my mind about him. And then oh. I got, I got, yeah, I got to meet like my, my Michael Jordan essentially as Trace McGrady, but I'll get to that one. It's just like, I see Jameer Nelson. And then usually with something like that, it was our first playoff series in quite some time. It was the year the Toronto Raptors won the, won the title and we're playing. I think we're playing the Bucks or we might've been playing. No, we were playing the Raptors because my buddy got fired. Cause he went to that. We went to that game and he's like, I'm not coming into work. No called no show. Went to the game. Got fired, so it was the Raptors. So we're there at the first game. And then I see Jameer Nelson and then I, I'm watching him from afar. I've got this, this notion in my head that fuck this dude. He was an asshole to me over 15 years ago, whatever it was. Fuck this dude. But I'm just sitting back and I'm watching him. Watching how he operates, watching how he moves, watching how he gets oops, watching how he treats people. I'm glad that was empty. Um, watching him how he treats people. And he was nice to everybody. Every fucking kid that came up to him, he was signing their jersey. He was teaching them stuff. He was talking to them. And then it started making me think. I was like, man, maybe he was just having a bad fucking day at that time. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe he had a friend that passed away, a dog that he had to put down, a cat that he had to put down. Maybe he just wasn't fucking feeling good. Maybe he just had a bad fucking day that day. And I completely <laughs> dropped my grudge. He doesn't know I have a fucking grudge against him. For, for <laughs> he doesn't even remember me. You know, yeah. so I, I, I completely dropped it. And I started thinking, man, maybe everybody's just, maybe everybody gets one bad day when you try to meet somebody that's your hero and shit, you know? And then the other guy I met at the comic con, he was just a real dick. I asked him a question and he's like, I've answered that enough. You can go and find that on any YouTube channel. And I was like, dude, I literally waited in line for fucking two hours for you to sign my comic book. I was, and I left my comic book on the table. I was like, fuck this book and fuck you. And I walked away. Oh. I was, at that point I was just, I was like, man, I had to stand behind the smelliest person in the world for two hours <laughs> to come and talk to you. And all I had was one simple question. You could have told me, and, but maybe he was having a bad day too, but still fuck that guy. I'm never going to buy that comic book again, but nonetheless, yeah. uh, he so should we're probably gonna, stop going to comic cons. He's a very older, older. He's an older comic book. I don't want to put his name out there because I don't, you want don't need to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, so those were some of the fans questions, or that was one of the fans question, Bill in mind. And then we got a couple more. All right. Okay. So, a couple of these ones I came up with and a couple of the other ones are some of the fans ones that wrote in and I want to pick your brain a little bit. Um, the first one is um, I use this one for Toby because I thought it was really, really fun. And he could not. He said he would not give me an answer because uh, he didn't want to offend anybody. But it's not oh. offending. it's not offending anybody. Uh, he just didn't want to leave anybody off the list. All right. So if you, Paula, had the money to put down on a animation studio, you were going to start an animation studio. You have to have a writer, a director, an animator, and a voice actor, and somebody to create the show. Your art directing. Who's your writer? Who's your or who's your creator? Who's your director? Who's your writer? Who's your animator? And who's your voice actor? This could be dead or alive, any point in time that's ever worked in animation. Oh my gosh! The hard hitting. Oh, only one of each of these. Yep. Oh. Okay. Oh my God. Am I going to be lame if I say I want JG to come on? Absolutely not. Okay. I'm, I'm going to ask JG to come on and do his magic. And then okay. I'm going to collaborate with him on the other names. And I, you mentioned Matt Price before, and I really miss working with him. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know if you've ever seen him on, you know, occasional like Reno 911 or The Office. Like every yeah. once in a while, I see his episodes of those shows, but I'd love to have maybe Matt or John Infantino in. I, I want Robert Alvarez to be the animation director. Um, I also love, you know, I mentioned my friend Lindsay Pollard. She has mm -hmm. done the same thing as Robert, and now she is doing episodic directing. If I can get her, that would be <laughs> awesome too. I'm going small time, like reunion stuff, instead of like oh, perfectly fine. Oh, your list. Come true. It's my own animation studio, though, so I can do whatever the fuck I want. That's what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, Definitely. and I have a lot of money, right? Oh, you absolutely do. You can get any voice actor, and you get a voice actor, oh, and animator left. The voice actors. I mean, really, I love Bill. Mm -hmm. I gotta say, I love Bill. And you know who is also really funny that I just worked with more recently, but if I could only have one, then I'm I'm gonna have Bill because I know he's a delight. But if I um, if Bill's not available, then I just did this show, Little Demon, with Danny DeVito, and uh, his daughter, Lucy DeVito, played uh, his daughter on the show, um, Chrissy, and he played Satan, and they <laughs> were both just a joy to work with. Like, he's very kind, she's very kind, and they're, you know, Danny's um, son, Jake, is a producer, and they were really great to work with they have their own production company jersey films so i probably don't have to hire them i could just like collaborate with them and then save my spots for the other people that i wanted to work with well, that perfectly works and then you got one more <laughs> okay you got, an you got an animator what animator you bring oh up? animator and danny devito is frank and um always sunny is one of the best anythings ever I can't even okay. handle his Jersey Mike's commercials. I love them so much. Do you see those in Florida? Yeah. Okay. I love those. Brad I, I, like I stop. That's the only commercials I stop and watch. Um, okay. Can I say Cosmo? Absolutely. I mean, he's, he's a director, showrunner. Uh, he's a wonderful designer as well. But I think I could have him as an animator, right? Absolutely. This okay. Is Cosmo. <laughs> all right he draws uh, so well he, like his drawing style is so confident and beautiful mm -hmm. and mm, yeah if you could go back in time and be a fly on the wall for the creation of any cartoon character who would it be and why any cartoon character that's ever been created you get to see the creation which one are you going back in time and seeing Okay, I'm not going to say Walt Disney because I'm still pissed at him that he's a union buster. <laughs> so I kind of want to go back to, <laughs> this is just going back to my child and, childhood and what I loved. <laughs> Either Super Chicken or Georgia the Jungle. Yeah. It's that dumb? <laughs> no, it's not, man. It's J-Word Productions right there. I mean, they, they, I think they were made at the same studio. So maybe they were made around the same time. If I was a fly on the wall, I might've caught several conversations. <laughs> but, 
Um, and maybe I'm just going to say super chicken. It's yeah. such a dumb ass cartoon, like ding dong, but I still, are you familiar with super chicken? I am. I still like when people are complaining, especially if it's parents complaining about how hard it is to have kids. I think I can still hear super chicken saying, you knew the job was dangerous when you took it. <laughs> and i i'm gonna pick that i got a book recommendation for you You might like it you might have already read it the moose that roared have you read that one is the j no i've heard of it but i have not read it and i'm writing it down before the disney revolt by jks friedman that one was my favorite animation book though and the one i'm reading now i've actually got it upstairs Uh, it's the rise and fall of upa by adam abraham Uh, and i'm reading that one now that one's pretty good so far um But yeah, the moose that roared that that book is so good. It details everything from the start inception of Jay Ward and then obviously the decline. I didn't realize that through the entire production of Rocky and Bullwinkle, the reason it looked so bad is because it was all animated down in Mexico. They didn't have the skill. They didn't have the supplies, but Hollywood didn't want to put money into it so they use the mexican um the mexican art studio or the animation studios down there to do all of this and then the reason tarzan looks so good is because it was animated in la and they threw everything at the wall money everything they could to make it look so good i think it only lasted one or two seasons possibly um and then i learned after reading that one they created captain crunch jay ward uh-huh. i didn't know that you know it's just like <laughs> Oh, this is my favorite cereal. And then it's they the, brought in the bacon, I guess, with Captain Crunch. Yeah, it's just well, that's how they made all of the money and kept the lights on for the longest time. That was that was yeah. like the last, you know, death throes essentially of, of that studio um was yeah. Captain Crunch. And it's uh it's just fascinating to learn like all of these things, like fuck dude, why isn't why isn't this you should be able to fucking learn how to 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 balance a checkbook and you should know animation history in high school this is bullshit i didn't learn shit in high school you know what i mean but um but yeah so that's really really surprising that money the money stuff you know like kids animation the budgets are so much lower than adult animation it's weird the pay is higher in general for adult animation i'm like why is that it's not any easier or harder and it's because the the advertising budgets are higher, you know, like it doesn't pay to advertise to kids. So they don't have as much to spend. And I'm like, that sucks. And when I hear about what goes on, like, especially after this Warner brothers discovery merger and all of the cost cutting and stuff. And it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, you're going to take all the cartoons off of HBO max. So you can find another place to show them because you want to make some money you want somebody to pay you for those properties rather than showing them for free on hbo max that people are paying to watch you know but you're not making enough off of these cartoons so you're gonna what sell them to amazon prime or something to like i I was just saying this morning like when do the consumers start to say like Oh, by cutting those costs and making things better for your shareholder, your stockholder, you're actually looking for ways to make the consumer pay more for them. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Everybody's got like, a streaming service these days. Oh, dang. 
Yeah. You know, it's oh. just, and then, you know, I won't stay too long on this topic, but it's just like, did you get a chance to watch Velma? Oh, I haven't seen it yet. I just saw a commercial for it. Right, actually, right before I came in to chat with you. So it's not good. I try to be as positive as I can on this show. The only thing that I enjoy, and I, I didn't, I watched the first episode night, the last seven minutes, I was like, I'm fucking done. I can't, I can't do it. It's like, I try, I gave it an honest, I, I, I took an edible and I, was, I let it kick in enough. I was, because Scooby-Doo is very important to everybody. I uh, loved it. You know, it's just, it's one of those things that, that it's just, it's a perfect show. And then when you talk to people that worked on that show, I talked to Bob Sanger, he worked on that show. And he was like, it was one of the hardest things I've ever worked on. He was like trying to get oh. Scooby-Doo down. Just drawing it was hard. He was like, everything was so brilliantly done. He was like, but the production on it was hard because of how fast they had to move on that show. But you have these characters and then I've got no problem. You want to you want to gender flop, race swap. I don't care. As long as it makes sense. Just make it make sense. Don't just uh, I, we, we have this thing in the kitchen that my chef always says. Don't just do something just to do it. It's got to have it's got to have some kind of reasoning behind it, right? And as long as that is a a standard that people can push, I'm I'm all for it. So I went into it with an open mind because I like the girl that plays her, Mindy. I can't pronounce her last name, and I don't want to offend Kayling. anybody. I think I, it's just Kayling. Kayling, yeah. <laughs> so I think she's fucking hilarious. I like my wife watched that show. Um, fuck. The Mindy, Mindy I think Project. It was Mindy. Yeah, you know, so I, I thought that show was funny as hell. I was like, I was all for it. And then the best thing about the the show was the art. The animation style is great. They have these little flashbacks where it's this demon creeping up on her and she has these visions. If you watched Wednesday, it's kind of like that where she premonition or whatever. And that that whole sequence is cool. But the best thing about the entire show was Fred. And he was just a straight frat boy douche, right? <laughs> it's just like, like Velma comes up to him and he was like, do I know you? And she's like, yeah, we, we've been in school forever. We had this team, Scooby-Doo, we, we were solving mysteries. Yeah, my doctor diagnosed me with this thing where I just can't, I can't remember ugly people. And he was like, yeah, that's just be call, called being rude. And that's what she tells Fred. And it's just like this very pretentious guy. And I think he's fucking hilarious, right? Because he's just a dipshit. <laughs> is he's not a very bright character he's very vain he's everything you would think looking at the way fred looks you're like oh he's probably a douche right and then <laughs> they play into that stereotype and he's the best part of the show it's just nothing was fun about it like i was going into it hoping that it was going to be fun and then it's just like oh you guys had you had something here you could have done you know adult animated scooby-doo and you drop the ball it's just for me i'm pretty sure there's people out there that will absolutely love it I'm pretty sure I'm going to get fucking shit on in the comments when this one goes live. Like, oh, you're a fucking idiot. you don't know what you're talking about. Probably. It's just not for me. I try not to shit on anything because there's, I can't do what you guys do. And it's not fair to shit on something that you can't do. Um, <laughs> it's sometimes it's hard to get through, you know, like, okay, well, we, I can't complain much getting paid to draw or paint or, you know, have fun, try to make people laugh, but it's much more pleasant and enjoyable when you're working on a show that's a good quality, you know, yeah. and personally, I like, I like the shows I'm on to just have some joy in it. Yeah. You know, like there were some episodes of Flapjack that got a little unnecessarily dark. I mean, mm -hmm. they, and I was like, I don't like the way that episode's going. And one time 
there was an episode of spongebob like in the third season it's it was a show called pressure and um all of the main characters ganged up on sandy cheeks Mm -hmm. and i don't like sandy but i Mm -hmm. also don't like bullying and i talked about it in a meeting you know we were doing like an art approvals meeting and i was like i don't like this episode i don't like the way it's going with these spongebob wouldn't do that to sandy i'm like and patrick wouldn't do it squidward maybe but i'm like i don't like it i don't like seeing the characters doing that and then steve hillenberg said something to me and he said that it was either the art director or that it was probably the creative director told and Derek Dryman told him um, what I had said. And he's like, so Steve asked me more about it. What, you know, how I felt about that episode. And I said, I just don't, I don't think SpongeBob would do that. It's mean spirited and he's not mean spirited. And even if he would do it, I don't think it's funny. And they changed that episode. That's really cool. <laughs> it's it's still pressure and it's still there's still some bad feelings in it but it's um it's not like it was before and, well, I, and I think steve heard me steve hilmer was oh my gosh can i bring him back to absolutely you told me living or dead okay i want steve in that so i got to imagine you worked with them so I, I i i do this every chance i get when somebody comes up that's no longer here tuck tucker is one of my favorite people oh, that tuck. i have ever gotten to hear stories I, I just did craig bartlett um creator of hey arnold and dinosaur train um and he told me one of the funniest stories i've ever heard tuck tucker was working on hey arnold and uh he, he had the communal refrigerator and his sandwich kept getting eaten and stolen so tuck tucker and he then craig goes i don't know if it was a bruno shit and ladies and gentlemen if you have if you don't know what bruno is bruno was tuck tucker's dog um his hunting dog so tuck tucker went and literally made a shit sandwich wrapped it up just like a regular sandwich says do not eat do not touch tuck tuckers and somebody took his shit sandwich and after that moment tuck tucker never had a sandwich go missing again so anytime we get to do this, I, I enjoy this. I do this. I've done it with Tuck Tucker, Steve Vixton, which was another guy that's no longer here that I wish was still here. Um, Christina Cavanaugh or Christine Cavanaugh uh, is no longer here. James Avery, you know, Uncle Phil. And, you know, he was the voice of Shredder and Ninja Turtles. So what's your favorite Steven Hillenberg story? You got one that sticks out or maybe an interaction, a meeting or anything like that. It's very short. Um, and it is not going to be that interesting or meaningful for anybody else but me probably but i asked him what he wanted to do uh, what he wanted me to do on a certain background like mm-hmm. how do you want me to draw this i don't remember anything about the drawing i don't remember the episode but i just asked him like how how, how do you think i should do this and he said well how do you want to do it? And I said, well, it's your show. And he said, well, it's your show too. So do it however you want. And I, and I was like, okay. So I did it however I wanted. And I remembered that, I mean, I knew him outside on, you know, got to know him and Mm -hmm. spent a little time with him outside of work as well. And his wife, and he was a very kind person yeah um and another 
I had, I thought of, I have thought of that when I've been on other shows. Um, when the creator's getting a little bit too big for his britches. A little prima donna. Um, and I, I'm not going to say who. <laughs> but we have talked about the show tonight and you can probably guess it's not jg but <laughs> um this person worked with steve um and may have had some insecure feelings about how much steve succeeded in his life and um i thought of steve then while i was working with that person again and thinking man if I told him that story about Steve saying that, it, you know, it's, it's, it's your show, Paula, too. It's your show, too, Paula. Like, this guy would blow his top <laughs> if I brought up a Steve Hillenberg story and that was it. Like, but you get through those shows, too. It was just, it's much more pleasant to work with someone like Steve who is collaborating and cares about what other people think on their show and then another one other slightly sad story about steve is um i grew up in huntington beach um which is on the pacific ocean and it's in orange county and it, it's a nice place they're famous for surfing and it's very clean beach um beige sands um and then just down the beach is newport beach where i was born I remember at the time um, working with Steve, and this is, I worked on the first three seasons only of SpongeBob, and then a little bit on that first movie only for like a month and a little bit here and there and recently got back to it. But those first three seasons were great, but it was a crapshoot, you know, what was going to be good, you know, we didn't know it was going to be the hit it became of that first season before it was even on and then and then they started coming out with the the crap you know the the merchandise like there was going to be like burger king happy meal you know mm -hmm. figures or something and we were all like burger king it's not mcdonald's ooh it's second rate or whatever and like yeah. and talking about you know the other products that they were going to come up with and steve was really sensitive about all of that stuff and worried about like over consumption and whatever and you'd think you know this guy's income depends on selling more and more crap but he told me that his worst nightmare would be to see some spongebob crap washed up on a beach because yeah. he had that background as a marine biologist and uh, <laughs> one year while we were working on those first three seasons there was like this huge and it must have been a later it was probably the third season but there was a big old rainstorm like we just recently had a few weeks of rain and it was like oh my god we can't handle it here in LA but I right on the front of the LA Times was this photograph and it was in Huntington Beach or Newport Beach or right on the border where I grew up and it was just all this trash that had washed up during this storm and right in the foreground was this rubber ball that had Spongebob's face I was like a, a Spongebob ball and I was just like 
I brought my newspaper to work every morning um, when I was on SpongeBob and I was just like, do not show that to Steve. Like, (laughs) I hope he doesn't see that. And I'm sure he didn't remember ever having said anything like that to me, but that I think about that too a lot. Just, you know, when I see, you know, the consumption and overconsumption and over saturation yeah (laughs) yeah it's definitely uh he's definitely like i said him and tuck tuck are probably the two hardest ones you know because it's as a kid you you see mainly the creators or you remember voice actors you know it's not until you get older if you follow with whatever you follow whether it's movies animation comic books and you really start knowing and learning about folks like yourself that helped bring Steve's vision to life, Craig's vision to life, Gendy's, JG's, all of these, all of these folks, uh, visions to life. That's, that's, that's when you start figuring out like, Oh, this is super collaborative. This is just not just one person. (laughs) I used to think that the same person that animated it, drew it, colored it, painted it, voiced it. I used to think it was just all the same people when I was younger. And then when I started watching the credits, it's like, man, this is a lot of fucking names. <laughs> There's a lot and, of names. I mean, yeah. in the old days when TV animation was really spreading out, there there were fewer people do, and they were crossing over and doing different jobs. Like maybe they were doing voices or somebody was storyboarding and then doing backgrounds. But um, now we're, we're kind of uh, compartmentalized. Yeah. But um, Tuck was pretty great. And I was at the studio when that shit sandwich thing happened. It was real. Yeah. Like <laughs> that, there was, you know, I know that refrigerator. There were several little kitchenettes around the studio. And <laughs> I actually think of, you know, how when you get through, go through life and you just like, you might see something and you get a flash of the past or something that yeah. it reminds you of something and I can't walk past that kitchen without thinking about that sandwich. <laughs> what a legacy to leave. Uh, you know, I, I'd gotten to hear some really good Tuck Tucker stories. The ship story <laughs> was probably the best one. Um, and then another one, it was when I had uh, Dave Cunningham on. Um, Dave had, it, April Fool's Day was Tuck Tucker's day to shine is what Dave was saying. <laughs> he was such a practical joker. And then I think he had, taken honey and put it on the inside of dave's phone so oh. tuck tucker would call him and oh then Dave would put it up to there and he'd stick it down and he'd, he'd like, oh fuck <laughs> oh god that would make me yeah, so mad so, yeah. <laughs> yeah it was really fun um some of the fans questions we've covered we've covered almost all of them because a lot of them were just uh you know talking about the jg's regular show you you did some flapjack talk so you covered that so we'll end it with uh this one i think this one will be a pretty good one to go out on um i'll give you a choice do you want to do a buddy cop question or do you want to do something that's most impacted you in your career it's your choice oh my gosh i can't i'm i'm flashing on the most impact on my career so ask me the buddy cop i'm like who can what what is it i mean it's it's so many smaller moments like steve hillenberg saying that and steve hillenberg also telling me that coat hangers are funny (laughs) (laughs) like there's a lot of coat hangers in spongebob like there'd be a pile of trash or something like 
that is one thing that he told me he thought coat hangers were funny and I put them in wherever I could for him. So anyway, but whenever, I think, whenever I think of coat hangers, I don't think funny. They don't belong in a lot of places. And so when they appear there, it could be funny. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, we'll end it with this one. So you get two characters to have a buddy cop esque TV series. Now, when I asked this question uh, to some of the regular show guys, I said, you can't be, you can't take the high five ghost muscle man combo and you can't take a Mordecai Rigby combo. So it can be any character you've ever worked on plus another character you've ever worked on as long as they're not best friends in the show. So no SpongeBob Patrick. Um, Gary Spongebob so it'd have to be a yin and a yang and, and they don't necessarily need to be in the same show no you could literally take Flapjack and Mordecai or you could take Rigby and Gary or Squidward and uh fucking Blank and Rocco you know so it doesn't have to be and it, it can be in the same show if you'd like they just can't be friends in the show I love Rigby yeah so I'm going to have Rigby be one of them. Good cop or bad cop? Bad cop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's definitely the bad cop. <laughs> uh, oh, man. I, I generally like the bad cop characters. Good cop. I mean, <laughs> Patrick Star might be good Ooh. for the good cop. That thing is getting solved, but that's going to be a funny TV show. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Let's try that. <laughs> we can always recast later if it doesn't oh, work. Oh, no. That, that, that's perfect. Rig <laughs> and the star. Rig bone and the star. I, get, um, I also really fucking love Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Like, he's my all-time favorite like just bugs bunny is just so awesome but he's i think you know he i like those characters like that that are little shits that are yeah. little assholes and but decent at heart but don't trust them yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're shady yeah for sure. bugs bunny could maybe be the sergeant that those buddy cops have to report to Man, what a it's sergeant. all boys, damn it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's not yeah. very many girls in cartoons yet. Although I did just spend a good good time on Little Demon with some good lady characters. Have they got a release date for that one yet? Little Demon got released last August. Oh, this August. August oh. of this year. So if you have Hulu, you can watch it on Hulu. Well, I've got Hulu. I guess I know what I'm watching tonight. Yeah, it was on FXX. So in the evening on FX, it's kind of their adult swim version of FX. Um, I think it ended up looking a lot better than I thought it was going to because we it was a very big, ambitious show that mm -hmm. we did not have the manpower to to make it what it was written to be but it ended up looking great mm -hmm. um, and i hope it succeeds 
I got to imagine it will. If your name's attached <laughs> onto it. We've talked about hit after hit after hit that you've worked on. So <laughs> I've the been track very record lucky. Is, is you're hitting on every show. So I'm going to check <laughs> this one out. Uh, like I said, after we get off here, because I got some work to do anyways. And then I'll I'll put on little demons and you're going to get at least a, a viewship from me for sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, like I said, Paul, this has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. Robert, thanks for setting this up. Um I can't wait to have you back on. We can delve maybe a little bit more into maybe the second episode. You know, we get for the break. Okay. Stuff like that. But like I said, this is a lot of fun. Uh, she's been Paula. I've been Julian. It's been the What's My Head podcast. And it's been another piece of your childhood. Good night. Yay. My guest next week is Ian Jones Cordy. Enjoy the teaser. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian. And today I'm joined by Mr. Ian. Ian, how are you, sir? Hey, glad to be here. Oh, man, I'm glad that you're here, man. Uh, so we're going to jump in the latest gentlemen. We're going to do a little bit of a format because I think this worked out quite well for the couple previous episodes we've done it with. Uh, so we're going to get in that metaphorical time machine, that DeLorean, if you will. We're going to take a step back. We're going to go to young Ian, man. Do you remember where you fell in love with animation? Oh, man. I wish I could remember because um, as, fa- as, as long as I can remember, I've loved cartoons. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like... I first started drawing when I was like three. I have like some very early memories of doing that, but I have no idea what the first cartoons I saw were. It was probably it was probably Looney Tunes, just because those were on like every day and they were syndicated in my area. I would just watch Looney Tunes all the time. Some of my like first drawings were Looney Tunes. So I'm gonna guess it was Looney Tunes. I think for so much of us, because I mean, you're not too much older than me. I'm thir- 33. I just turned 33 this year. So, you know, I got to feel like we grew up kind of with the same sensibility when it came to cartoons, yeah. came to animation, comic books, movies, any of that type of shit. Um, you know, so I got to imagine for a lot of us as, as, you know, you know, being our age, Looney Tunes was like the end or Tom and Jerry was the end, the Flintstones, yeah. something along those lines. Yeah, uh, for sure. You know, when looking back, though, man, uh, do you remember where you kind of started to draw that line was like i love watching this but i love drawing this and this is what i want to do you remember right. what this was so when i was in elementary school um i think i was like in first grade or second grade i kept drawing you know i had like a stick figure character that i used to draw like when i was like in preschool and then i started like adding more to it and um this was like around the time I think Simpsons came out and I remember um, I was super into Simpsons. I was super into Garfield, the comic strip uh, at the same time too. And I remember just being like, Oh, I can make a character like one of these characters. And then, um, yeah, I think it was like around first or second grade. I made like my first like characters that were like, one of them was like a little kid that was like me and his whole kind of world and then I had like a bunch of animal characters and then I would just try to draw um, or try to draw like comics mm-hmm. and show them to my friends and to my parents. And they didn't understand them because they were like off the wall. Like you couldn't understand it. It's like chicken scratch from a child. You know what I mean? Uh, but that was like the time where I was just like, oh, I really want to like create characters and tell stories. That's like. Those are like those, uh, you know, sometimes there's just like those moments where you're just like, oh, like, I really want to go back to that feeling of like discovering that for the first time, you know? Now, 
I told you I wouldn't ask you anything personal. This is about a personal question I'll ask you. But do you have kids? Uh, no, I don't. I okay. don't. The, the only reason I ask that is because it, it's come up so many times. People say, I've had multiple animators have said, you kind of have to have a childish side to be an animator. Right. You have to be able to tap into that because that's that's not who you're writing or animating for. But that's a big part of the audience. You know, you want to connect that younger sure. crowd. We all have that kid. In, I mean, look at all this shit behind me. I mean, yeah. look at the stuff behind you that's influenced you. I mean, this, like I come in here and, I, and I'm instantly inspired. I'm instantly like, fuck, I remember where I was at when I saw the turtles for the first time. I was at when I remember I saw Plank and Ed, Ed and Eddie for the first time. Right. I mean, there's a spam cam that has no reason to be back there other than that. Absolutely <laughs> nice. Um, you know, but it, it's just insane to think that, you know, we have these little, these shows, these movies, these comic books that, you know, take us there. But the reason I asked you if you had any kids, was whenever I'd start showing my oldest son shows or movies that I watched, like I look like I'm watching the show, but I've already seen it a hundred times. So I know what's going to happen. What I'm really looking at is like, what's he looking at? Like, is that what I look like? Did I look like a zombie? Like he looks like right now watching <laughs> these shows for the first time. So it's insane yeah. to see and connect, you know, to that, that childlike wonder, but through the yeah, lens sure. of somebody else. And then he's picking it up. Um, when you're watching these shows and you're creating these these characters, um, I don't know if you ever got a chance to work with him, but I had Chris Battle on not too long ago. He did some Powerpuff Girls, mm. Samurai Jack, Teen Titans Go. And yeah. uh, the one thing he said, he's like growing up in high school and you were the artist in school. Everybody wanted you to draw the characters. What was that situation like for you? I mean, was everybody coming? He's like, Ian, man, I want you to draw me Batman. Or what was that like? For sure. I mean, like, uh, yeah, I remember being like the kid that could draw in classes mm -hmm. Um, I remember in like, I think it was fourth grade or fifth grade, I got into a racket of, oh, it was when, um, it was when uh, Marvel cards were like really oh, popular. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I got a bunch of um, index cards and then I would like draw, like, I would be like, oh, for 50 cents, I'll draw you as a Marvel character and like write stats on the back mm -hmm. and like, you can have like your own Marvel card, basically <laughs> like stuff like that, you know? And just like all the like weird stuff. Like, yeah, people would just always be like, yeah, you know, Oh, could you put my name in bubble letters or like something like that? You know, that was always, that was always really fun or just like stuff where it's like, if there's a class project about that has like some artistic uh, thing in it like people would always want to partner with you and stuff like that it was really fun dude you were taking commissions at fourth grade yeah <laughs> it was really fun i remember liking it i remember like a friend being like can you draw like a sexy lady uh <laughs> superhero and i was like i will try and he was like it was a big commission uh source for me yeah, did you get more than fifty cents on that sexy lady drawing you did? I don't know. I wish I could go back and and look at uh look at the ledger. Maybe I did. <laughs> Your accountant's gonna come to you, Ian. We need to talk, man. You've got some shit in escrow over here. Uh, exactly. That's that's fantastic, man. Uh, before I ask you the next question, man, what was uh who was your favorite Marvel or not Marvel? Excuse me. Who was your favorite X Man? We'll start there. Oh, um, I think I just. I think I just liked Wolverine and I think yeah. I was like at the age uh my older brother had a bunch of Marvel uh comic books at least I think he had some and I just remember I just liked this character the look of it 
all the stories went completely over my head mm. at that age. And I think I just liked the characters collecting the cards. And then when the cartoon came out, the X-Men cartoon came out, it was just all over, you know? And it's like, uh, yeah, I was just like, I just would watch it like every day. I really kind of want to go back to it. Uh, I know they're doing like the new version of it now, but I want to go back to that original show. See how I feel about it now. It's there's some episodes that are like, oh, fuck, this is hard to get through. But there's a lot of episodes in it that are really good. Uh, you know, I, I had bought the. So about a decade ago, I started going on my no a little bit longer than that. 2010 is when I went on my first deployment. When I was in the Navy. So I would carry around, you know, obviously you're on a ship. You can't really take streaming services with you. Right. So I would have like three or four binders about that thick of just DVD shows, whatever I can pull with me. Right. Right. And, uh, they had had the box set of the X-Men, the animated series. And I was like, fuck, I need to get this one. This one's got to go in here. I remember watching <laughs> this as a kid and man, I burned through that entire series and, you know, probably the first week or whatever on deployment. Um, but that show was so Colossus was always my guy. I don't know what it was about him. Right. It was the metal, you know, I liked Wolverine. I liked Gambit, but just something about Colossus just spoke to me. Right. Just big dude just could smash shit. Right. He had so much more depth than the Hulk and I can never get into the Hulk, man. Um, but going back to to you slinging commissions uh, in fourth grade, you were an entrepreneur before you knew what an entrepreneur was, bro. I guess so. <laughs> That's phenomenal, man. Uh, the only reason I bring that up is, did you ever watch Dragon Ball Z back in the day? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I watched, I was into Dragon Ball when that yeah. came out first. Deep cuts. And then like, uh, when Dragon Ball Z came out, I was like, guys, I've been trying to tell you about this for like years, you know? Yeah. The only reason I bring that one up is because uh, how you were making money for your commissions, that's how we made, that was our currency in school. You would trade. This is when you could go to computer class when we first started getting, we got our first printer in school, right? It's like, maybe. So you were allowed to print one picture off and it was in color. It started off in black and white, but eventually we upgraded to color. That's amazing. We would print off one picture each and then we would all like trade or we would sell the, just the thinking that you could sell something. And now all you have to do is take out, this yeah. little itty bitty phone and you can save it to the phone for the rest of your life. It's just wild. Right. Yeah. So it's I just think, I think about that a lot because, um, you know, there's something I think about a lot, which is that um, like these images, you know, they were so special to us as kids. Yes. Um, and like when you were a kid and you saw an image of something, you might never see that again, yeah. you know? So you like had to like, you know, keep it. I remember like, uh what the stuff behind you right now is reminding me like i had a ninja turtles t-shirt and i remember you know it came with like a tag that had like the ninja turtles logo Mm -hmm. on it and i remember like clipping off that tag and like keeping that tag Mm because like when am i gonna get to like have this like image again like i might never see it again there's no google image search there's no like phones or internet you know sometimes like you're just like you have to keep stuff in your head i think that's kind of why i started drawing because like you'd see things and you just want to like get them down you know absolutely man and i'm so glad you brought it back to drawing uh you know when you're doing this are there certain shows that you wanted to capture more than others what were some of the shows that standing out that you make sure you want to have a mental and then a physical copy of that show i think for me well i mentioned it already but for me it all came back to looney tunes always Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Like those were the shows that those those were the cartoons that I watched over and over and over and over. And like when I started getting into animation, when I was tr- just figuring out what animation was, when I was like um, in elementary school, I found out, you know, you can, oh, I can record these and freeze frame and play them back like frame by frame and see yeah. how they drew it and did it. And like, for me, Looney Tunes was like, it was always like the thing I would watch over and over and over. And I would like digest these things and like really love them and really care about them. And I loved those characters. And I remember thinking it's just, they're just so funny. I don't know how anybody could ever come up with these characters. Mm -hmm. And I tried to read, you know, it used to be like, I used to just go to the library and any book that was about animation, I would like try to get that book, you know? Um, and I remember, like, yeah, I had this, like, sort of obsession with just trying to figure out, like, how they made these cartoons. And, yeah, I think Looney Tunes was, like, the one I was, like, super obsessed with. You know, I bought those DVDs, but they're all in kind of, like, a weird order and stuff. You know, I wish they would do, like, a chronological thing. Yeah. It's so sad that um all the stuff's happening with HBO Max because... For a while there, they were uploading a bunch of the old Looney Tunes, and they have it all by like um, by year on there too. But they're still missing like a lot of cartoons. Yeah. But like, you know, uh, that is like for me, that's like the be all end all, absolute height of uh, cartoons. Uh, those are to me like the funniest, best characters, best animated. You know. And it all depends on what, and what you're in the mood for, you know. I I would always like default as a kid. I remember I was like, "Oh, Bob Clampett, like those are my favorite ones." And then like I remember getting a little older and getting the uh, Chuck Jones book from the library and being like, "Oh man, uh, Chuck Jones made the best Looney Tunes," you know. And then like you know, just growing up and then sort of like liking everything. I remember discovering Tex Avery and being like his his Looney Tunes weren't as good as I as I thought the others were. But then his work for MGM was like so good and like so, you know, beyond everything, you know. Um, And yeah, I don't know. Just like just like getting into that. That was like as a kid, that was like really important for me. Dude, that's really cool that you can sit there. And I'm so glad you brought up Bob Clampett and. Before we go down this road, uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get to the shows that Ian here is working oh, on. Yeah. But being yeah. able to delve into, you know, how you got to doing what you do now is just fascinating. Right. And, it, and it goes for, it can go for an animator to a comic book artist to a chef to a music. I don't give a fuck, man. It could be whatever. You could be a pirate on Tuesdays that cuts hair. I don't care, man. I want to know these stories because I think it's fascinating. And I'm taking off this shirt, not because we were just talking about HBO Max, but it's, it's for some reason it's hot as hell in this room, man. <laughs> It's usually cold as shit. You know, Florida's got a little cold spell going on. Um, but I think they turned the AC off because everybody's a little chilly in here, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, just seeing how somebody's journey starts and then how and what kind of shapes and twists and pushes them in the directions that they, you know, ultimately end up is just fascinating to me. Um, but what do you think it was specifically for you? But what do you think it was about the Looney Tunes that kind of set that bar and nothing kind of matched or overtook it? I think for me, it was just those characters. Like, I don't know what it was, but 
you know, and I know this is this is true of Disney characters too. Mm-hmm. Like, especially of that time, you know, those characters have like an internal logic to them. Like you can see them thinking, you can see them like you can sort of like almost imagine that they're real, you know. Uh the Looney Tunes were like that too, but they were also funny, you know. Yeah. And so like I think that was just it and I think just like all of the actual uh animation I just found uh so hilarious. Um even though like you know uh they're so off the wall, I think it was just that they were like the funniest cartoons. Yeah. And I think I just thought I felt like every cartoon should be really funny. Um, and I was definitely, I had like for several years, you know, I didn't want to see like a live action thing on my television. Like I was like, is if it's a cartoon, I will watch it. If not, I won't. I remember like being a kid and like you're watching Disney channel and a cartoon is on. And then it's like up next, a live action thing. I'd be like, Nope, I'm out of here. You know, I remember when, like when I was in fifth grade, we got cartoon network on our cable system and i remember like it was like i it was so funny because like you know i definitely came from like a family where my mom's like oh no no tv during dinner like you know we always eat together but i remember like that night she was like okay there's i can't there's nothing stopping this like you're just gonna be watching cartoon network like until like midnight so she just let it go that's so fascinating. And what does it feel like? What is it like to be an Ian, right? So you go from watching the network blossom and bloom and just blow up to what it was and what it is. And, you know, I hate being negative on the show, but what it possibly could be. I really hope everybody said that it's not the end for Cartoon Network Studios. I don't think it is. You know, I had Fred Cyber on not too long ago. He was the reason that so many of the shows yeah. got made. He greenlit so much of this stuff, you know, and when he was on a few weeks back, he said it kind of happened, not to the level of what's going on now, but it kind of happened when Cartoon Network bought out Hanna-Barbera. You know, you had a yeah. massive layoff, you know, you had restructuring and all this other shit. And then you had the same kind of thing with the AOL Time Warner merger in the early 2000s or, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. You know, so it, it's, it's, like it's always happened. You know, every company has, you know, kind of cannibalized itself and tried to, out of those ashes, kind of grow back stronger. But for you specifically, man, what has it been like? A kid sitting in front watching that 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 studio logo come across and then you walking into that studio and saying, holy shit, I work for the checkerboard. I work with the ch- I worked with yeah. a piece of my childhood. What does that feel like? Is it weird? Is it is it does it feel real? Oh, it was it was completely surreal. And I remember uh, like my first days there, I just couldn't believe it was happening like that. Yeah. I was actually there like um. I remember like walking in and seeing like, you know, they had um, they used to have like a big mural with all of the uh, with all the logos of every show they had ever made there, like on the wall. And I remember just looking at that mural and being like blown away. Like, I can't believe I get to work here, you know, and I remember uh, when I started there, it was sort of around the time that I think Chowder had just like they were just finishing flapjack was winding down but they had like a couple episodes left and i remember like yeah getting to meet you know some of these people who 
were the people whose shows I had seen or worked with the people whose shows I had seen. And it was just like, it was mind blowing. And I remember like, yeah, you know, the, the point to the point when I was making OKKO and I was like animating the Cartoon Network Studios logo and my characters were in the middle of it. It was just like, it was like, it was like mind blowing. Like, you know, like I used to watch this channel like 24 seven and like, I'm definitely in the generation that was like really just uh, primed to like all of their original programming when it was starting. Like literally, I think the year we got it was when like what a cartoon was starting and like uh, all the stuff that Fred Seibert was doing. And I remember like just, you know, actually stepping into that building and like being a part of it was just like, it was, it was mind blowing. It seriously was. Did any of it feel fake? Did you feel like you were dreaming at all? I just remember like it it just all moved so fast that yeah. I didn't really have time to think it was fake. I was just like, I can't believe I'm here. You mm-hmm. know, I remember. Uh, uh, I think it was maybe the second season of Adventure Time. We had moved like in the building and we were actually like across every uh, floor at that time had like two shows on it. And I remember, um, um, I think like Gendy was starting symbionic Titan maybe around that time. And I remember just thinking like, I can't believe it. This is like a hero of mine, like down the hall. You know what I mean? Um, you know, it was, it was, it was surreal. It was really surreal. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the show. Don't forget, hit follow, subscribe, and tell a friend, man, and I'll see you guys next week.